Greek philosopher Epictetus was quoted as saying, don't explain your philosophy, embody it. No quote could encompass our old friend and guiding North Star Derek Woodsky more. This four-time alum of Power Athlete Radio regales us with tales of adventure, heroic deeds done, and his exodus from California to Montana. Buckle in for a three-hour event that is as much cathartic as educational. Prepare yourself for episode 509 with Derek Woodsky. So the home is on the market. It, it's sold. You guys are, you know, remove all contingencies. So yes. uh, when, when's the, the sale date? Uh, so we are, we have to be out of here June 18th. Okay. And then you're moving into so, another place for a month? Yeah, exactly. So what we did is we set up a short-term, well, I, I can't even call it a rental because Mammoth doesn't have short-term rentals anymore. Um, the, the market here is just too insane. So we have friends, thankfully, that are second homeowners um, mm. and they're, they're not here right now. So we'll stay there until we make the move. We have a couple offers uh, going well, on up in Montana. But if uh, if you guys get into a bind, we always have our place yeah. that you're <laughs> more than right. welcome to. I mean, it, it sits vacant. Like Oh, okay. Yeah, like my brothers go up during ski season, and I think like maybe 4th of July and a couple holidays, but for the most part, and we don't rent it out. Okay, uh, perfect. Yeah, so, so for years, we kind of did a rental, and then we ended up like – going up there one time and there was all this weed and like stuff. And we were just like, oh, dude, it's good. We're fine. Yeah. Not that I'm against uh, people smoking weed, but I just like, I don't want to bring my kids up there and like have to go like some dude leads a fat sack and like all these chronic magazines. I'm like, nah, I just don't want to explain this to my kids. No. And you, and that's the thing. Like you don't want to get stuck having to clean up. Like where we live here, the vast majority of the people in the area are, you know, Airbnb or VRBO or whatever it is now. And <clears throat> You know, it's 50-50. Like, you know, right now, it's all fishermen down on Crowley Lake that are in their mid-50s, right? So, you know, they roll up in their pickup truck and they got, you know, 48 beers, a couple handles of whiskey, and, you know, they're going to be here for about five days. But during the ski season, it's a much different clientele. And everybody, you know, say right now, the place next door might have two people renting a three-bedroom. In the winter, that same three-bedroom is probably going to have 11 people in it. Yeah. Right. Like it's a totally different environment and, you know, and like influencers in the wild. Right. So I remember looking out my window this winter. One of my favorite Instagram pages. I it's so amazing. Right. And, and that's what it was. I, I looked out, it was snowing and it was a, a chicken, a bikini, uh, you know, probably, I don't know what it would be, uh, you know, 18 degrees out. She's in a bikini, like scalling a beer, standing in the snow in a pair of boots while somebody was shining a flashlight on her to give like the snowflakes that glitter, glittery fall sensation. And they're filming her. And I'm like, okay, so this will probably go onto Instagram. She, she might even have a few hundred thousand followers. But from my perspective as the dude drinking water at his kitchen sink, it is a hammered chick standing in the parking lot of a, an apartment complex while a dude is shining a flashlight and a guy's filming her with a cell phone. Like yeah. the contrast to realities, it's just like, and then runs inside frozen to the bone, right? Like sure. shit faced, you know? So it's, it's like when you look at that though, you're just like, Jesus, it's all a facade, like the big facade we have now, like, you know, for people that don't realize, um, you know, and John knows this obviously, but like, I don't remember learning how to ski. Right. So for me, you know, like people are like, Oh, that guy skis quite a bit. And it's like, well, 
yeah, but I also kind of did track and field, right? You know what I mean? So it's like skiing to me is a sport that like I do, you know, fully, fuck, I do it well. Like I ski really well and I've skied for a long time. So for me, I don't, it's not like a big process. It's, it's not like, uh, Ooh, I get to go skiing for my two weeks uh, or two days of the year. So what we started to see, for example, up here at the mountain is during the pandemic, especially, which I know we're going to get into because this place is a shit show, but everybody gets up to the top of the mountain here you know, they spent exorbitant amount of monies to get there. And they literally, we saw this all winter, you know, standing at the top of a mountain, three or four people taking the photo. And then they literally white knuckle panic fear, like shit their pants, slide down to a safe spot and then get off the mountain and go drink over and over and over. And you're like, none of these people are committed to the mastery of anything physical anymore. They just spend a bunch of cash to take a photo and then try to figure out how to make it look like the coolest weekend on Instagram. It's, it was, it was a weird year to say the least. So it's almost like people are just doing it for the gram. I mean, 100% for the gram. Um, so the top of Cornice, as you know, I I was going to say when people are at the top of Cornice, like normally we would get up there and then the wind kind of gusts. And the longer yes. you stand up there, the colder and shittier it gets. So we would just literally ski off and just go off. And 99 out of uh, 100 times, you were okay. But then occasionally there'd be somebody who was nervous to jump off and like trying to like sn- like snow sli- slide, kind of side slide down. And we would 100%. literally fucking hit those people constantly. And we're like, dude, just jump off. It's only like a, a you know three foot lip. You'll be fine. You'll be fun. Well, I'll do you one better. They went and plowed the cornice right off of that. They don't let it form anymore. Oh, really? So, yeah. So now it's it's not a hard run to ski other than being high and windy. And so what everyone does now is they take the gondola up because mm-hmm. they're too scared to take the chair up to 23 because you yeah. actually have to ski. <laughs> and then so what they do is they all crowd the top of cornice and they take photos like tons and like just like 30, 40, 60 deep. And then they side slide or they'll literally blasphemously take their snowboard off and ride it like a toboggan down to the bottom of the run. Jeez. It's the craziest shit you'll ever see. And, and so the mountain this year announced at the end of the season, this massive renovation, but the renovation is to make this place more of what it's become. And that is a giant amusement park for people. So the things they're investing in are not like, hey, let's, let's get out into the backcountry in the summer and challenge ourselves. I mean, there's still those people here. There always will be because nature is nature. And if it wants sure. to shake us off, it will. But the winter and the summer now is all about getting, you know, getting hammered and just kind of getting, you know, the way I describe it, like a quarter of a mile into the wilderness where you can still see people, but Instagram, if you point the phone the right way, can't see civilization. So for those of you guys that are listening, um, Derek uh, happens to be living in a place called Mammoth Mountain, Mammoth Lakes, uh, just north of Bishop and June Lake. Um, I know you guys, if you listen to the podcast, know uh, my parents bought a place there in like 1971, a little condo. My brothers and I bought it a couple years ago off my parents, and we pretty much spent every free weekend either skiing in Mammoth or fishing in Mammoth or mountain biking in Mammoth. So I feel like I grew up there. And then ironically, when... uh, uh, Derek started um, uh, dating his girl who lived in Mammoth and then they moved there. And so a lot of this, uh, you know, 
Sierra Nevada kind of stuff is super uh, close to me and just blows me in my mind because uh, I remember as a little kid, I mean, you were talking about remembering ski. The only way I remember skiing is seeing the picture of me at two years old in like basically like the jumper straight snow plowing, uh, right. snow plowing between my dad's legs. And my dad, like I can remember the ski, you know, and I, I have the picture somewhere, but I still laugh. Like that's the only reason I remember skiing at that age. And we skied, you know, everywhere. I mean, we, you know, if we got... Man, if we didn't get at least 10 to 12 weekends a year, we were like pissed off. So, I mean, that, right. it was every other weekend we drove up and it's roughly six hours, five and a half if we hammered up 395. And we got to the point where like we were old enough to just like get in the car and be like, mom, go to sleep. And then we were just fucking playing chicken the whole way on 395, <laughs> slamming up there, trying to get there in like four hours and a half minutes or four hours yeah, and 30 minutes. Absolutely. Back when CHP wasn't living up and down that thing, oh, right? Oh, fuck, man. We used to hammer. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, so now it's really kind of turned out. I mean, dude, I, I remember even as like 16 years old, uh, like basically off-roading to like, God, what, what's that ghost town? Um, Bodie. Yeah. To, to Bodie basically yep. parking and then us walking like as far as we could or like the hike to like, a, you know, Crystal Falls and some of that stuff. But, uh, yeah. now it, that, that's all changed, huh? Yeah. It's changed. It's just population, right? Like it's, uh, <clears throat> and everyone said, oh, the pandemic is the cause. You know, truthfully though, we started to see it before things started to shut down. Um, you know, when, when you're the, and it is, when you're the best mountain town within five and a half hours of what they estimate to be uh, activity user base of 16 million people, mm. you don't have to have the same people every weekend right? You just have to have people doing sure. a thing or coming up to hide out or, you know, take, you know, take in nature. Maybe it's not even a bunch of Instagram influencers, right? Like, you know, you get 10,000 people, it, it saturates a small community. Now, when you get 60,000 or 20,000 on the mountain and you got one grocery store, you can't keep up, right? Sure. So an interesting stat that I heard last year and I don't know the exact number because it was said by a local doctor, but he just said it matter of factly. He goes, you know, it's funny. Everybody was really freaking out about the pandemic. He goes, but we had more deaths on the ski hill this winter than we did from COVID. Right. And when you start to think about that, you're like, okay, so I know we had four quote unquote COVID related uh, mortalities, but okay, shit, you're right. Because I remember this winter when we got our eight foot storm, uh, there was a guy that they found buried on flat ground that suffocated from the snow, which to a skier we know can happen in a tree well, or if you get an avalanche you or something. You think he was drunk and just passed out? Okay. So you want to hear a disturbing story about this town? Yeah. Lay it on. So me. what they are dealing with or what they dealt with all winter <clears throat> and it kind of makes sense is with the number of catastrophic injuries coming in, broken legs, et cetera, from the ski hill, the biggest issue the ER had was stabilizing patients because so many people that come up to this town. And so this isn't just, you know, like your 18 year old with uh, being crazy. This is adults, wealthy, established humans. So many people that they were dealing with in the hospital had opioid addiction because they're being prescribed pills as a general maintenance to their life because they can't deal with whatever's going on. Uh, they had a hard time stabilizing them because they couldn't give them what they needed to in the emergency room to decrease pain. 
Now you take that and throw in a bunch of like convenient alcohol, wine, beer, you know, uh, a prey type attitude. And then someone is so pilled up, drunk off their ass, the chances of falling over and not getting up in four feet of snow, if you're not athletically inclined, probably pretty high. Mm. You know, the only catastrophe I remember coming up on was a dude was uh, like, you remember, I don't know if you, well, you probably do, but do you remember Bodie bags? So mm-hmm. dudes used to always have just like the old school, like it's all probably changed now, but I just remember dudes had Bodie bags and I remember seeing the guy, uh, obviously the guy was drinking on the chairlift. He came down and I don't know if he made a bad turn or not, but he hit one of the, uh, the big pylon poles for the chairlift going Ugh. pretty fast. I mean, yeah. fucking hit it, and the dude was laid out, and I remember seeing the Bodie bag because, of course, you know, ski patrol, and then they'd bring up the cat, and, like, yep. I think that the dude was dead, or at least he was unconscious. We thought he was dead, but I just remember yep. seeing the Bodie bag <laughs> and being like, oh, well, if you're going to ski drunk, I mean, like, and uh, like yep. those things are huge, and they're under, like, <laughs> like, the fact that he hit that, I'm like, I can't even imagine hitting that. No. And, and that's exactly it. Like when you throw a person on a set of skis or put them on a steep slope or whatever it is, and they're not skilled enough. And I'm not even talking about being an athlete. Like I know a lot of people that aren't particularly athletic that were really good skiers in the recreational sense. Mm-hmm. They know how to start. They know how to stop. They know how to control themselves. But what we were seeing is just chaos this year. Like, uh, our next door neighbor, her father was up, uh, you know, 60 years old, avid skier. He got clipped by a snowboarder this year that didn't even stop. And when that guy clipped him, he broke six of his ribs and gave him a pneumonia thorax, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a dude on a green run, like basically having the exact same injury profile as getting hit by a car at a sidewalk or a crosswalk, right? So they just, they saw so much of that this year. And when you kind of equate it to what it is, is it's a bunch of like, you know, soft shelled cars that are driving intoxicated all over a mountain, you know, and it, it was, uh, it was kind of a hairy year and it's like, you know, so I was up there, I, I think I skied 95 days, I think is what I skied this year, 90 of which Jesus. were at mammoth, right? Like, so I was on the mountain a lot this year and, you know, was, I, I was watched, that four or five days a week? Yeah, I tried to. I tried to get out Monday through Thursday at the minimum. Um, rarely would I ski a weekend unless I went over to June because I knew it was quiet. Sure. And I had epic days at June. Um, we didn't get Man, a lot of snow I've, up here this year. I haven't skied June we, since. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only time we we would ski June is if it was like uh, a holiday weekend and we knew it was going to be fucking awful. Yeah. You know. Yep. Well, put in perspective, it was so crazy this winter with people up here that we had a pretty good snow day in June and they actually had to close the parking lot because no one could park there. It was full, which for people that understand June Mountain is kind of ridiculous. Like you're talking a busy day at June is four people in front of you in a chair line. And to be able to, and this year to have days where the parking lot was closed at 7.30 a.m., and people were turned away. It, it just kind of, I think, you know, with Mammoth in particular, and I know we hammered a bit for people who have no idea what we're talking about, but it works well because it's a microcosm of what is happening, I think, in the bigger perspective of the United States. Like, for example, I come back from Summer Strong, which we all enjoyed, to 
another month of mandatory mask mandates in Mammoth Lakes. So regardless of, or not, if you're vaccinated, everybody here is 100% masked. And they're, and I mean, I'm not talking about people that are like, oh, do the good thing to keep Vaughn's open. <laughs> I'm talking about people that if you aren't rocking a mask, they are freaking out still. Wow. Freaking out. I had a, a boyfriend girlfriend like the day after I got back from Summer Strong. So our official mandate here, for example, is no masks outside. That doesn't mean shit to these people, right? They're still hiking fully masked, right? Wow. Um, I was walking through the parking lot with the mask in my hand because I knew I had to go in the pharmacy and, the, and they're stricter than, say, a normal business would be because, you know, they're trying to uphold the propaganda. And so when I was like moving towards the door, I'm like, oh, better get my mask out. <clears throat> and uh, a young couple, athletic looking, you know, I would guess them to be late 20s. And I mean athletic, not like, oh, they probably do some stuff like they were fit. They, they were coming out the door fully masked and he grabbed her and totally cradled her and pulled her like four feet away as she said, yeah, there's one right? Because I'm, I'm walking through a parking lot, no mask on, getting out of a pickup truck, probably had a shirt. I don't know. Maybe my shirt was identifiable. Maybe I, you know, I don't know what it was, but it's like, really? You mean, you like, mean a real man? So she was telling her boyfriend, Hey, look, there's a real one. There, there's a, there's real, a man. real one. She's yeah. like, there's a real one. And he actually was grabbing her and pulling her away because he was afraid that she was going to like run and attack you because she probably hadn't seen a real man in so long. Yeah, like let's not kid ourselves. He was using her as a human shield against yeah. my corona. <laughs> well, it, uh, dude, um, a friend of mine said called me the other day, and he goes, "Man, he goes, do you feel nervous when you see people with masks? Like almost like um, they're still buying into the propaganda, and the fact that they're still fearful of something like this probably is just goes to show that we we should be nervous around them for other reasons, like snipping on banana peels and getting hit by automatic doors." <sighs> Or the fact that maybe their psychosis is so easily manipulated that if the wrong group of individuals, and this is going to be a crazy shit and I'll probably get flamed. But what if there was somebody that was smart enough to know how to radicalize those people? Right? I, I lived and worked in a country where... Uh, uh, how could you radicalize those people? I mean, uh, different. well, I mean, let's go theoretically because we know it's happening. There, uh, the yeah, way we know it's actually... Uh, like to radicalize somebody, you and, and let's just use Nazi Germany. You have to point yep. at a group and point to them and say they're the reason, they're the problem. Yep. It's not us. And if we join together and we aim it towards them, then we, and we get rid of them, then we will have nirvana. Yep. And so, what if you were to do that and use the means of technology to completely disrupt the financial system in the United States, a la GameStop, AMC? So even though. I kind of like what's happening for some of these people that are able to become significantly wealthy from being able to manipulate a stock market. But what if you were able to get an anonymous like persona or some sort of Elon Musk, Elon Musk, until he uh, pissed off all the Bitcoin people was God amongst yeah. the crypto world because yeah. he could literally make millionaires with a tweet. That's yeah. how susceptible people have come in this last little period of time to making like potentially significant decisions, you know, especially when it comes to finances based on someone's Twitter page. Now, some people benefited from that initially and, and hopefully 
they got out before these cryptos reversed on themselves because he comes back out and decides that, you know, Bitcoin is no longer a green currency, right? That's what kind of started that whole thing. Which is, crash- is, can we talk about the irony of this uh, for the fact <laughs> that he's yeah. producing electric cars and the strip mining for lithium and the, the basically destruction of the planet to pull out the, the natural resources needed for those batteries is by far like the most egregious thing you can do on this planet. It's catastrophic. Yeah, I mean, you it, know, all it, you... <laughs> just just Google lithium mining, and you'll see these yeah. huge holes in the ground. That um, God, what was the big pit in uh, Return of the Jedi? Remember when they're going to throw uh, with the worm Leia yeah. in it? Yeah, yeah, where they were going to throw Leia in it. Um, I remember the little monkey thing with Salacious Crumb. I can't remember the name of. A f- that big pit, but that's like, imagine something like that that's miles wide. Well, imagine something that is so massive that they need dump trucks with 25 foot tall tires to carry the load, yeah. right? Like, you know, people have no idea, you know, they hack on all this shit, but okay. So we know there's a bunch of gigabyte mines and, and different lithium mining in Nevada, but no one seems to give a shit about Nevada because, quote, unquote, living here in California, that's just Trump country. Yeah. Right. We still hear that stuff in our town. What does that even mean? What is Trump country? Right. Nevada is a giant state with natural resources that is being dug to the core because no one goes and visits Nevada. Now, if that was being done in California, oh, yeah, we'd have a problem with lithium mining all of a sudden. Right, and like, I feel so detached from all this because here in Texas is so different. Like, it, it, uh, dude. You, you, like uh, I, so my daughter uh, started swim club, so she goes at like or swim team, whatever, at this place. So it's from seven to nine. I got to take her, and like walking in, it was really weird because like the only people that were wearing masks were the people were like you know uh, of Indian, you know, a dot not feather, um, yep. and like some Asian people, but for the most part, yep. no, nobody's wearing masks. No kids are wearing masks. Everybody's sitting in close proximity. And like, it, it's almost like, you know, like everything opened back up and it's like, Hey, if you want to wear a mask, but it's not required anywhere. I think the only place I've seen it, man, Whole Foods oh, doesn't Austin, So out, we're out in the country yeah. a bit. No mask. I went into Austin for, for Nate's dinner and mandatory mask at the, the same restaurant that gave you guff. For walking through with no mask. Oh yeah, yeah. With the, with the uh, John at, at my birthday actually walked through a restaurant, popped off the mask just a tad early, and the waiter came up to inform the whole table of the mask law within their walls. Yeah, that you could only take the mask off once you were seated, not approaching. As you're seat. seating. Yeah. Yeah, it was so, uh, like like the. Can uh, Can I ask the obvious irrational. question? Why is or why has masks and, and people will be like, well, this isn't true. Nah, no, I've, tr- I've traveled now. I've been east. I've been west. I've seen. Why is it that masks are absolutely connected to the political parties of this country? Uh, they, did a, I, they did a study on this. They found that um, your uh, fear of COVID di- directly kind of plays into what your political leanings are. So the more, you know, because Trump was like, it's not a big deal. And I hate Trump. Now all of a sudden I have to think it's a really big deal. And like, I, I, I forgot the, uh, God, what's the name of the news reporter? Um, the chick with the, sh- yeah, she sits, I, I forgot what, uh, CNN, whatever. She made a good point where she's like, I have to retrain my brain into f- seeing people without masks and not being fearful that they're going to attack me. I mean, like it's, what it's the, become, are you this- kidding? 
Yeah. Uh, I do have... You know, she said this on air. Like, it, wow. it's ridiculous. The Return of the Jedi sand monster. Uh, the Sarlacc. Yeah, the Sarlacc. That's it. Oh, the so, old Sarlacc. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so I only know that because we referred to uh, some people that I knew as the Sarlacc. Oh, God. So In the Great Pit of Carcoon. Ah, uh, yeah, the Sarlacc. On Tatooine, the on desert Tatooine. planet. Yeah, the Tatooine. That's uh, right. It was Tatooine. Is... Like okay, so like uh, let's analyze this. I don't know about you, but they did the uh, the FOIA act and they got all Fauci's emails. Uh, yes, and they dumped all that information. And what's pretty interesting, he goes through and basically he says that masks do not work, which I've been saying for a long time. I mean, I grind metal with an N95 mask, and there is still dirt, grime, metal in my mouth and nose. Uh, yes, and, and a coronavirus is like 80,000 times smaller than the smallest hole that you can visually see with your eye. So we know it's for the most part, yeah, for, for the most part it doesn't, but the fact that like, um, people think that this thin piece of cloth or, you know, paper, whatever it is that you've reworn for, I don't know, seven days in a row is going to somehow magically protect you from this. It, I mean, isn't this kind of like, uh, um, I was kind of trying to make this uh, this analogy or just a little bit of relationship. It's kind of like um, I don't have to worry about my health because I'm eating magic food or I'm doing something yes. magic. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, uh, a green shake is going to offset the incredible shit show, which is your lifestyle, right? Like I know, especially in the celebrity world, how many people, uh, you know, drugs, drink, party, uh, morality clauses that probably needed to be signed and they get up and drink that green shake in the morning and it is their it's their confessional right that's their morning confessional to the shit show which is their life and as long as they have their morning confessional they're all is forgiven right but that's become the psychology of so many people and we're seeing it like you know when we did this last podcast we took a little bit of heat uh because I said that masks were dehumanizing. And now here we are a year later and we can say conclusively that there are people that the mass has completely broken their connection to social interaction. You know, I watched a guy here in town freak out on, okay, not to go back to Mammoth Lakes, but just a little bit of a caveat. Mammoth Lakes is a sleepy little town. During this pandemic, a guy pulled a gun on another person in the grocery aisle of our Vons because his girlfriend would not keep the mask fully covering the face. Okay. That happened since our last podcast. We had another situation where a local EMT got his ass kicked for trying to reprimand somebody's girlfriend because her mask kept sliding below her nose. So, you know, if you go after somebody's girlfriend aggressively, there's a good chance that the dude that she's with might have a problem with that. And the last time I checked, a millimeter of fabric isn't bulletproof, right? But that's the psychology that we have seen. You could make a strong argument that the expansion of the Antifa psychology is perpetuated by the fact that these people know they will not be identified for their behavior. Mm. So you give somebody that thin veil of secrecy, right? Their, their quote unquote superhero costume, and they start doing some weird shit. 
And we've seen it up here constantly. People that I know would never be confrontational to other people without masks on, have no problem telling somebody to go F themselves in a parking lot because they're invisible to them, right? And it's like, at some point you have to step back and be like, none of this is psychologically positive for our culture. You know, it's, uh, how long does it take to recover from this? It's the physical manifestation of social media where you don't have to confront people anymore. I mean, as you're talking about it, I'm like, you know, the, the age old troll or the person where I can get, I can be anonymous and I can, you know, shit on something. I mean, the amount of times like all like, so, uh, I kind of look at social media as like outlets, not necessarily inputs. Like, in, like uh, I'm going to put something out there. I try not to read the comments. On, on occasion, people post some fucking stupid shit, and I'll have to reprimand them. Um, yep. But uh, like, but for the most part, like, I, like I posted that um, 500 fights monologue from uh, Vin Diesel, which is really the best thing Vin Diesel's ever done. And um, for sure, and these fucking guys were like, uh, like up in arms, like you know, no legitimate tough guy and all this shit. And I'm like. Uh, like, first of all, you follow me and you're commenting on my shit. And when I call you on it, be like, well, you know, I'm like, it's not like we're having a fucking difference of opinion over a drink that we're friends. I don't know who the fuck you are. And you're, uh, you know, I'm I'm posting something because I find it funny, ironic, and I liked it from a serious point in my life 20 years ago. I don't need you to go on IDM, uh, IDM, IMDB, IMDB and fucking try to like, you know, uh, reprimand me on some small error. It's just, um, it's become this like interesting uh, like anonymity that people have that they feel that they can, you know, like uh, be the Dukes of Hazard, right in the wrong, straightening the curves at all times. Yep. And I think all this time. mass deal has just extended that personality that now they, because they are faceless and nameless and they can go out unidentified, they feel like, you know, this is fucking the real life adaptation of my, uh, you know, uh, anonymous social media. You know, 100%. And, and when you think of like, when you think of like proven and and contrary to what the modern world likes to believe, there is proven anthropological, sociological studies done on behavior of humans. Like that stuff actually really exists, even though everyone wants to denounce it now. And people are incredibly predictable to the point where there are those that the mask has become their tribe. <laughs> Things, you know, wow. and when it becomes their tribe, they now, without even having to speak, can make the connection visually, which is still our master uh, connector to humans, right? Is body language and, and how we interact with people. It's, it's not our voice. Our voice is what we use to make way in the world for the most part, but it's our eyes that determine whether or not we belong. You know, and as much as people think that that's not the case, all you have to do is look at how quickly people will gather with others of like mindedness, regardless of of background in sports, for example, or common cause military or any of these things has proven that time and time again. And there was a study that came out that showed that you take a group of people, regardless of ethnicity, religious belief, sexuality, um, you know, whatever our current cornucopia of, of identifiers are, but you put them together and they all have a common cause, a common belief, a common identifier, regardless of all those characteristics. And that will override all those other things every time. So the study was looking at how people of different backgrounds can basically get along. 
Well, give them something to get along for. And when you do that to people, it will quickly eradicate all the indifferences that they have. And they may not always get along within their tight tribe, but what ends up happening is that person now, it becomes identifiable to that grouping. And if somebody tries to interfere with that group, they all turn on it like a virus, right? The whole group will turn against that outsider, even though they may have issues with their insiders, right? Like they'll have like a little, you know, like, uh, you know, Bobby's a dickhead. Yeah, but you know, Joey's a bully, right? That type of stuff. But don't get Bobby and Joey side by side when another group comes along that they, they don't want around because all their differences will be squashed instantly to deal with the other tribe or other group. So that's a team mentality. Like I might not like my teammate, team but, uh, you know, when all of a sudden we're playing another team now, all of a sudden we dislike them more than I dislike this person. So now, you know, uh, you know, like the, what is it? The enemy and my friend is my friend kind of a deal, you know? And people, 100%. Uh, people join together and find like commonality when put in opposition. And uh, it's pretty fascinating that like this is the hard part to kind of wrap your head around is like the, the fear of the unknown, I think, uh, is by far more, you know, it, like the fear of the unknown is more gripping for most people than anything else that I've come across. Like, I love the fear of the unknown, like, uh, like what happens tomorrow, what we're going, like all of that kind of makes me excited. But this idea that there's this, uh, like, uh, like invisible something that you don't even know you have unless you get tested, that's going to somehow kill you, even right. though right. It, it, like it's less deadly than the flu with the numbers they're looking at. And it's like, I don't know. I, uh, I still kind of go back and forth on this and it's like, Maybe I just uh, don't understand the magnitude of it or the fact that everybody, I know, like, I don't know anybody that's gotten sick. I mean, I know the right. people that have got it, but everybody's been like, I kind of just thought I had some allergies. But then you hear right. these, like, hor horrific tales of, you know, things that have died, and that's not close. I mean, that's not even two or three degrees separation from me. I have to hear about it on right. the news or read it somewhere. So, I, I don't know. Maybe it would be more impactful if it happened closer. But, but okay, so I've known a couple friends who lost elderly uh, family members that were COVID positive when they passed. Um, you know, so I, I can appreciate that. I've had, I've had some friends who work in ICUs, one out in Colorado. And when I was starting to freak out a little bit about my own thoughts on the matter, I'd reach out to her and be like, all right, tell me, what are you seeing? Like, not what is the media telling you? What are you seeing? You know, you're the one that's in the COVID ICU and yes, for sure. People were dying on her watch, but she was very honest and this is hard for people to hear, you know? So I always, you know, like prelude this statement with the fact that, you know, I've pushed 300 pounds in my, you know, big waistband days. The, the people that were dying in the ICU were obese. 100% of her patients that passed on her watch were all obese. And the fact that nobody wants to talk about the, the rate of multiple morbidities and death with this, or the fact that people that were grossly overweight or unhealthy are really, really vulnerable. It, it's kind of a, it's kind of a conspiracy theory unto itself. Because if you were to be honest about it and the fact that 
a lot of people who were really vulnerable were always vulnerable to something, even if it wasn't this, people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear the fact that, you know, people that were dying in the ICU, even after they figured out how not to blow up their lungs with, uh, respirators, the ox. Yeah. The respirators, which no one wants to talk about that right now. You guys remember the nurse on Facebook from New York at the start of the pandemic that got completely deplatformed. She came out and made a video on Facebook and she was hysterical. You could tell that she had like broken, right? She was probably 60 days into New York's like real big rush of, of COVID cases. And, And she came out and did this, uh, Instagram live, I guess, I don't know, Facebook live. And she knew what was happening. They were rupturing the lungs of the patients. And she said, we're killing people. Like she was distraught. Boom, completely deplatformed. Now here we are 15 months later and we're like, oh yeah, we shouldn't have been uh, putting everybody on respirators because we didn't know how much oxygen to give them. And we were damaging collateral, you know, collateral damage of the lungs of these people. You know, like well, there was and, a uh, lot of people just uh, died because of negligence. Well, I mean, Fauci's emails, they knew the hydroxychloroquine worked. Right? Yeah. I mean, he says it right in his emails. I was going through a download of like, they were kind of like going through all the major points and he's like, no, this is, and, but of course, um, you know, now it's like, was all this stuff political, uh, politicized, you know, to shit on certain things that Trump was promoting? Like, um, you know, I mean, if you think like now we have a situation where legitimate information that would have been possible in terms of saving lives was actually stymied and fucking, you know, flipped uh, that resulted in more deaths because they couldn't give credit and didn't want to add any fuel to try to like, you know, get rid of the evil orange man. Um, and you know, anybody that's ever listened to this podcast knows I'm, you know, I'm not a, a Trump fan by any means, but, uh, I'm fucking definitely not a Biden fan for the fact that, uh, he's not his own man. Um, the decisions no, being made well, or Sleepy not his. Joe it, is not running the show. No, he's not. I don't know who I mean, he is, but it's not him. Uh, to me and I, I, uh, people kind of cringe when I say this, it's elderly abuse. So, uh, there's a, there's a real deal with, uh, like abusing the elderly where people take advantage, you know, the age old, uh, you know, Ben Stiller, like, Oh, now your back's going to hurt. Cause you just pulled uh, landscaping duty, like yeah. that type of stuff of people taking advantage of elderly people. To me, it's embarrassing and it's, um, it's some form of abuse to put him up there and to like, you know, make, uh, a guy who was obviously at one time a career politician and, yep. you know, just basically removing his dignity. And to me, every time I see it, I cringe. And I'm like, who's okay with this? And more importantly, like, yeah. who who's okay with any of this stuff? Like, I, I don't know if you saw Camilla Harris uh, down in Guatemala yesterday, basically telling the people, don't come to the United States. Yes, I heard about this. I, I, like, I, I watched the talk. She, she got up there and she said, uh, don't come to the United States. Don't do it. Don't come to the southern border. Don't come. Which, I mean, seven months ago... I mean, geez, they were burning Trump at the stake for saying this stuff. So, I mean, it's just uh, uh, the hypocrisy of it all. And it's almost like are people uh, like I like I'm kind of speechless in a lot of ways. I mean, and the thing that I mean, they're like uh, I mean, on on the immigration front, like they need to somehow revamp this thing where people want to come. There has to be uh, a way that doesn't take 30 years to get you here. Like they have to have some form of process 
to get people and actually let people immigrate to this country. And if you, you know, if the process is so arduous and so just terrible, then people jump across the border. And now I don't know if you saw the Supreme Court ruled that if uh, you if you came here illegally and you were trying to apply now, um, they're not allowing people to, you know, make good on these applications. So, I mean, there's so much inconsistency that like, it's such a fuck deal. Well, it's crazy. So obviously I live in a house of immigrants, right? So both Megan and I are, are immigrants. We're immigrants to the United States. And yeah, but you guys are Canadian, which is is, right. So that's what they always say. Yeah. uh, And and for you guys know, my mom is from uh, Canada, actually not far from where Derek's from. So uh, like I know the, you know, that whole thing where my mom always jokes, she's like, you know, uh, Canadian immigrants, like it's, it's a very, very different deal at the Northern border than it is at the Southern. It, it, very, very different. And, and the process, you know, so I, I went through the entire process after having been an athlete down here and then starting into like, okay, how do I become a citizen? And, and it takes time when I, when I finally decided to, well, I'll tell you two stories. So, and I'll tell you how the system kind of amazed me and how the system is broken at the same time. So for me, when I finally began the process, if you had your papers in order and you, and you followed the steps, it can be stressful, but I never had a negative experience becoming an American. The negative experiences that I had, if I could even, you know, call them that was how intensive the process can be for verification, right? Like, you know, the fact that um, because I grew up in a small town in Canada, my, my uh, vaccination cards were kind of sh- like shady, right? Like it was old typewritten, uh, you know, 1979 blue piece of paper with some typewriter written stuff on. So, you know, like all these people shit in their pants right now over the vaccine. I had to get completely revaccinated to even qualify to become an American citizen. So what? Right? Uh, I, what year? Oh, so so did they vaccinate you to whatever the present day when you? What year was this? Two thousand eight. Oh, I had so. to get it all again. MMR, like the whole gauntlet. Right. What's crazy so is m- I don't think I got any. I mean, like uh, I asked my mom when we had that when you were telling me, I'm like, do we still have our vaccination cards? And my mom's like, I don't know. When you were maybe in the hospital and maybe one years old, you got like a right. few of them. But she's like, yep. that was all you guys ever got vaccinated. I'm like, dude, did I get vaccinated for these? She's like, I know it was polio for sure. Yep. And like we kind of yep. went through this, and I'm like, so. And she's like, I know you guys got tetanus because you were constantly stabbing yourself with metal. But uh, yep, I had to get that as well. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. Yeah. I've had so many TB tests. I, I can't even describe it. Is that like, from the Middle are, East? No, that was for being a Canadian coming down to go to school in the U.S. So TB they were tests. real big on tuberculosis? Huge, dude. I had to get it every three to four years. Like, really? Ridiculous. Yeah, man. So they do the little needle yeah. under the forearm, creates the bubble, and if you have a reaction, you got TB, right? So it's like... <laughs> So everybody's shitting their pants right now over vaccines. It, it doesn't phase me. It's like, dude, I, if the government was implanting computer chips into new American citizens, I had mine in 08. So I'm good, right? Like, give me a break. Um, you well, know, the, so when I look at the better part is that people are eating like uh, like uh, freaking on the vaccines, and um, I'm like, well, you basically consume like 40 oxycontins a week. You drink alcohol oh, regularly, week. like, like, yeah. like the, like the people that like, it's the only people that are freaking out. It's like, 
I eat an organic diet. You know, I only drink water. I mean, like those, I could get it. But for most people, it's like you eat if, uh, like, as kids, we chipped out asbestos tile with with uh, t- with uh, t-shirts wrapped around our face. So my dad pulled up carpet, and there was asbestos yes. tile, and we had to chip it out. I'm like, I chipped out asbestos. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. You know, after they built our new high school, it wasn't until we were all moved into it that they informed us our previous one was all exposed asbestos, right? So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same shit. And so when I look at this stuff, I, I just I shake my head. But back to the like the immigration thing, I can also identify. So, you know, can't talk about immigration without talking about the fact that Megan was kicked out of the country as a Canadian during Obama's administration. What uh, it, was, it, where's she from in Canada? Is she from the east? She's from the east. And so what people okay. forget is that during you know Obama's run, he sent home all the foreign workers that were yeah. on visas. And we're not talking illegals. We're talking approved foreign workers. Boom. Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Europe, all sent home. Right. So it's not like a it's not a bipartisan issue. It's it, it's an issue, period. During that same administration, we had, and this, this story blows my mind that I even knew the human that it happened to. We had a family that was uh, immigrated from Mexico to Southern Colorado to work and to create a better life. So when they made the jump over and got jobs in that part of Southern Colorado, a lot of them did come up illegally. And when I was coaching in Southern Colorado, it was not uncommon for uh, immigration services to have buses in town, just mass corralling people and taking them that back to Mexico that were illegally working on the uh, uh, mushroom and onion and potato farms, I think that were there. And so we had a really weird situation occur. So we had a family whose son was a really good track athlete. This kid uh, was not born in the United States, but his parents brought him over when he was one year old. His two younger siblings, both American uh, citizens born and raised. The two parents, uh, because they came over on agricultural visas, were able to get them turned into citizenship over that period of time. It took a long time, you know. So this kid, for lack of a better description, born and raised in, uh, you know, raised in America, born in Mexico, uh, whole family was American citizens we were recruiting him to run track. When he graduated high school, shortly thereafter turned 18, INS deported him back to Mexico. Mm. 18 years, never lived anywhere but the US. He spoke Mexican, you know, um, but that's because his family did, but he had no connection to Mexico. His family never went back. They picked him up because he hadn't been processed in that 18 year period. It just never happened. Either someone forgot to do it or the system was so slow at that time. They bust him back. He, they drop him off. He had no connection to his home country. Didn't know where to stay. Didn't have money. Didn't have anyone to stay with. So this is where it gets interesting. We were recruiting a kid who had grown up less than 20 miles from the university that he was going to go to. And we ended up having to give him an international student scholarship to bring him back into the United States so he could run track for the university that was connected to his high school. And then during that four years, he had to apply for citizenship, even though he had never lived anywhere but the United States. 
So you can see how the system is just a chaotic mess of bureaucracy and everyone thinks it's personal. It's not personal. It's it, just, it's, yeah, it's, it's zeros it, and ones in a computer. Well, it, and it's, uh, the problem is, is that they're like, nobody's going to go in and revamp anything. It's kind of like, um, no. you know, the big, like, like you got Gavin Newsom trying to have a lottery for the, uh, you know, for the COVID. vaccine, for the COVID vaccine. Yeah. When, uh, like the money, <laughs> like the money that's needed in California is for redoing the infrastructure. Like the yep. waterways, like um, I had a buddy who was a contractor up in L.A. and they did a subterranean uh, garage in a parking lot. Um, th they dug it and they had to bring in um, like pumps because it was filling with water. So they were yep. literally pumping out like 10,000 gallons an hour out of this subterranean garage uh, that they thought came from a broken water line, but they couldn't find any meters. They ended up working it back and actually the main was cracked before the water meters. And they were yep. literally dumping that water, 10,000 gallons an hour, into the sewer, like into the drain, um, like the, the, the storm drains. Yep. And the, the city came out, they called them, they're like, this is a huge problem. Like, like, this is what, like, this is why we have a drought. And he's like, this is just one of thousands of these. Thousands. The infrastructure in LA and Southern California and all through California is 100 years old from the waterways to the mm -hmm. gas to everything. Uh, you know, from the lighting and this, I mean, it is so uh, depleted and broken and all of like the money from like the road tax and all that, that they love to rob all of the, the money. I mean, I just saw California is going to be uh 10 or between nine and a half to 10 and three quarters percent sales tax. So not only paying 10% yes. state income tax, but now sales tax is over 10%. And all of that money needs to go into revamping the infrastructure in California to actually make it, uh, a livable place, but then you got Gavin Newsom trying to give away a fifty million dollar lottery on fucking COVID. I'm like, this is this is absolutely insane. It's insane. And I had someone last night tell me that the reason why California has not lifted the mask mandate is because Gavin Newsom is doing such a good job at controlling and following science as it develops, as it develops. And I was like, okay, control this science for me. We know that last year during the forest fires that ravaged the Sierra Nevadas, that a bill got passed that they are going to pull an additional 6 million uh, acre feet of water from the Owens Valley, right? And no one knew this got passed. Where does this water go? It goes down to LA County. So people that want to do some quick math, one acre foot is 326 thousand gallons and they're pulling that much more water out of our region and no one can figure out why it's getting so dry and why it isn't snowing or raining in the sierra yeah. nevadas anymore well you take away the groundwater and you yep. take away the and everyone's ah oh, it's global warming it's, it's not. not global warming you have to have moisture coming up for moisture to come down Dude. and if you turn an area into an air desert you're foxville well, it's um, um, so I think it was like twelve thousand years ago. There was some shifting within the, you know, I think the the Earth rotated like a half a degree, and all of a yeah, sudden, yeah, the progressional Egypt, shift, yeah, yeah, and and Egypt basically got all this rain and water and turned into this lush deal. And it's pretty interesting yep. to like, you know, as they go through and they were like, wow, this was a rainforest at one point, and then it went back, and now it's the desert, and and it it shifts that easy. But I remember as a kid, uh, they were pumping groundwater from remember Mono Lake. And all of a sudden, yes. they had the whole Save Mono Lake. You probably still see the bumper stickers. 
they were pumping yep. all of that. And basically Mono Lake, which was a prehistoric lake, like I remember as a kid, it was this. And then all of a sudden we were out there and you could see the ground having these huge cracks in it. And they yep. just kept pumping more and more water out of, out of Mono Lake. And, um, you know, nobody ever stopped that. Mm -mm. And it's not going to stop here either. And, you know, some people that I kind of get to communicate with on occasion are associated with the general force service fire protection of mono and, and you know, and they think that they're going to have a horrific, horrific force fire summer again, you know, and last summer, what people don't realize is we literally had the worst air quality in the world for a month and a half, yeah. you know, like typically, uh, particulate numbers that get somewhere up in the, you know, 300 range is considered human toxic, right? And it's like five millimoles or 2.5 millimoles, just particle size shit. But basically, if you if your particle size density gets above around 300, you know, people are going to struggle with that. It's going to cause heart problems. It's going to cause lung and, and, and breathing issues. And for weeks, when it would get cooler at night, our town would rock about 2,500 plus. And so when I would look out my window, I physically could not look across the street. That's how dense the particulate was for months, you know, basically from August through to the, uh, it snowed. I think it let up a little bit in October, um, you know, and so, yeah, no one was going to do their hippie protests to oppose some uh, water getting pulled out of the valley, right? Oh, you know, normally they'd be up in arms and, you know, instead of shitting in the streets like they have been up here, they would actually have probably had a parade or two. But instead, they did nothing, not realizing that as of this point forward, they only made the situation worse. Right. It, like it, it, it feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like the more, yeah. um, you know, the more groundwater you pump out, because I mean, obviously like, uh, everything goes down into the central Valley cause they got, you know, almonds yep. and then, you know, wineries and this, and I mean, so the water's being used in, in different ways. And then you got a LA County's what about 33 million people. I mean, some <laughs> right. astronomical amount of people. Um, yeah. and you know, that finite resource, I mean, they can only, get so much and it all, you know, comes from, you know, uh, Arizona and all, you know, comes from yeah. everywhere from Southern California, but the more groundwater they pump, like you said, they lose more moisture and then that it's going to affect the climate. It does, you know, and you're seeing, uh, you're seeing a massive decrease. Well, obviously last summer we didn't get any rain. Uh, a rain shower here in the Sierras is like, like a seven minute sprinkle. Like I, I thought it was going to be way more, I thought it was going to be a lot wetter here than it is because of how much snow you can get in it the winter. It used to be. And that's what I've dude, heard. Like, uh, it, uh, Dude, for, I'm, uh, in the 80s, man, like, I mean, I remember uh, it raining. Like, it, it was crazy. If we went up to go fishing in, like, uh, the fall or even in the early March, I mean, it would rain the entire time. I mean, it, like, yeah. I remember sitting out in the lake and just, like, water all the time. So, I mean, the fact that it doesn't rain there anymore is pretty interesting. It is. And it's, uh, and I've been here long enough now to be like, oh yeah, yeah. We're 3% humidity is pretty standard, you know, 9%, you kind of get excited, but we don't have, you know, when it snows in the winter, that's, that's what's holding everything over. And this winter we didn't get shit. We like, you know, for people that it's hard for them to conceptualize, but this place notoriously got 40 feet of snow a winter. Yeah. Right. Um, and this winter we got, 12 
right? Like we, we didn't get shit. And this is the second winter in a row. And yeah, you could argue that next winter they get 70 feet. It's an epic monster year and the water table comes back up. Yeah, but they still pulled 12 million you know, acre feet of water between those two winters. And it's like, you can't recoup that fast enough. Uh, A friend of mine was up and, and, you know, summited a peak last weekend guys quite connected to the world and, you know, not a Trumper, not any of these things that you can make the argument. He's a, you know, environmentally conscious guy. And he was just out there taking a look around and he's like, he goes, you know, I don't know what the cause is. I can assume it's a, B and C, he goes, but there is not a snowy peak to be seen in the Sierra Nevadas for the start of June. And it is not uncommon for Mammoth Mountain to be open until July 4th. Yeah. We're closed. It might be the earliest ski hill closing in the last 20 years. I'd have to look. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but it's like, I think people have to start to realize some things like we live in this incredible country I'm fortunate to be an immigrant here, but fucking a, are we massive over consumers and wasteful individuals? And that's not like a cry for environmentalism. I grew up in a logging town. I believe logging is a renewable resource, you know? So I'm speaking from a perspective of if you want this shit to last, you got to take some accountability at some point, right? Like you want the logging industry to continue and you don't want to be paying these record prices to build a home right now. Well, maybe you shouldn't have shut it down in the late nineties without thinking about how to manage it, just shut it off. Right. And it's like the same mentality we're seeing on the other side right now. You want to have moisture forever. Well, maybe you shouldn't just pull endless amounts of water. Like you say, that gets funneled into a broken water main that gets dumped into the sewer. Yeah. Like, the, you know, it's, there's it's, so much waste. No. And, and it's, um, dude, it, like, uh, California politics just, I mean, the reason we moved four years ago, I mean, it was, the, it's gross, dude. It, it's well, gross. It, it was like, I, I remember having this conversation with my dad. I'm like, dad, at what point do you vo- vote with your feet? And that was cause, uh, we were right. sitting around, I remember having drinks with my brothers and we were, you know, my dad who grew up in Southern California, I mean, came there in 41 and, uh, 42, and, you know, had grown up in Southern California, had seen this, you know, was a lobbyist in Sacramento. You know, he, we're, we're basically dissecting all of this political stuff. I'm like, Dad, at which point do you vote with your feet and just move? And he's like, yeah. I don't know if I can ever leave California. Like, you know, we've been here so long in this. And I was like, I don't think I can continue to give my tax dollars to a system that is so, uh, you know, juxtaposed to everything that we hold true. And, yeah. uh, like the, and that was, you know, one of the, you know, big points for us moving is like, at some point you just got to vote with your feet and not be a part of it anymore. Well, and, and it's, it's a struggle for me, right? Cause I've lived all over the U S when I move here or leave here in the net by the end of the summer, I think it'll be the 11th state that I've lived in. So I've had a nice cross section, you know, like you did through the NFL, you get to see some different places. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I fully admit this is the most beautiful place I've ever lived in the United States. I agree with you Like on that. the Sierra Nevadas and in Eastern California, people that have never been don't understand. It's, it is unbelievably yeah. beautiful. Um, I mean, everything from the, uh, Death Valley to Yosemite. I mean, uh, it's like, unreal. like the Redwood National Forest, the Sequoias. I mean, going yep. to like Big Sur and up there, like in, you know, along that northern coast and like, like there are so many beautiful, like, and what's amazing about California is there's so many different, like, 
completely different ecosystems. Like those, yes. like, like those redwoods and the sequoias only grow there in the world. And yep. there's like Napa Valley, and then there's like the whole, you know, uh, Sierra Nevadas, and like you know, uh, like you know, coming down. I'm sure you've flown into Reno and done that drive that way, and coming over the many, top. Many, many times. It's yeah. uh, it, yeah, it's an amazing place, and probably the most beautiful place. But then you're like, how how do you balance this with the politics and the fact that, um, you know, it's being run by a bunch of fucking assholes, and, assholes, dude, and, it, that are just completely. Detached from reality. Detached. They're, you know, they're getting away with the fact that California has the fifth largest world economy. Sure. Because it allows them to kind of slug their way through. Like when your economy is that big, you know, you're if you're a governor for eight years, there's only you're not really going to damage much other than you're going to make a lot of money. Right. But you're not improving anything. And so. Like when I look at this place and we talk about, you know, the, the taxes going up and the sales taxes going up and the idea that um, they were looking at passing a COVID uh, reparations bill that was going to basically be a, a short term increase in state taxes to offset the cost of COVID. Right. And everybody would kind of have to come together and put money into the pot to pay for this. What people don't realize, even if that's only a 2% state tax increase that will never go back down yeah once they make that jump it's up. temporary uh temporary, it's, it's like know? uh like like gas prices um like uh my Dude, buddy don't uh, even get me started uh, five my and buddy, a half let's get started so for diesel uh parsley just hit me up he paid 479 for diesel and in, yeah, in california gas yes. is more expensive but i mean what do we pay i pay 279 and that's at the height and uh, uh, but like uh, so so what the reason it's two bucks more is California had this road tax. So what they've yeah. done, and this has gone back, geez, to the '60s, that there was a, a, a fund that they were going to tax on all gas that was going to go into maintaining all the roadways, making sure that the freeways get built and all the you know, the infrastructure, and that was agreed upon, and that's why California has this you know higher you know uh, cost yep. per gallon. The problem is. Is they started robbing this, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the gas tax and that like road fund. They started robbing it for the different social programs that they wanted to do, yep. and that's become this kind of. It, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you'll all of a sudden hear like them being like, "Oh, they're going to cut social security." You know, like you know, they're going to dip into social security. What people forget is that's our fucking money. We pay yes. social security. So when I hear the government, so so what, what you're telling me is the government's going to steal my money that you guys have been taking from me to create this fund so I can have social security at some point in my life. And you guys are in there gonna rob, so you're, so you're gonna steal more money. And it's funny, cause they talk yeah. about it and people don't really realize like, oh yeah, well, you know, they're gonna you know, have to raid rob social security. We're gonna hit social security with this. I'm like, so you guys are gonna just steal our fucking money. It's, um, it, it's the same with this road tax. Like I don't mind paying in if there wasn't a fucking pothole if uh, you know, if everything looked good and the infrastructure was here, and we didn't have you know hundred-year-old water mains breaking, but they don't use it for that, so the fucking allocation's mm. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Like, explain to me why we can't water our grass in Mammoth, but people can have green lawns in Beverly Hills, right? Mm. So, like, there's such a massive discrepancy in how things are being managed, and and, and that's exactly it. Like, so. Take politics. Oh, I can't take politics out of it. Try to take the individuals that were running for the last presidency out of it. And, and I remember having this conversation and I, and I said, you know, people up here are, you know, probably 95% democratic voting people, you know, and then 
out of that, a good portion are just aggressively, uh, you know, leftists. Liberals is in, it's the wrong term, right? Like these people are leftists. They, they, they have an agenda belief, not a logical belief. And so we were having this conversation because I'm kind of like, you know, like people know I'm a, I'm a middle guy. I like to hear things from both sides and then try to make a, a, a reasonable decision. So I said to them, you know, because people that know my history know that my life was dramatically affected by Trump becoming president. Um, and the people I worked for were negatively impacted by that. So people are like, oh, so you're anti-Trump. And I'm like, well, pump the brakes. It's like, let's see what the system is going to offer us. And so when we, it was time to come up for this, you know, most recent election, I'm like, okay, if you could take the, the media portrayal of Trump away from what's happened, okay? So if you could find a place in your brain to remove that, has your life been here in California been negatively affected by his pre presidency? And if you were to be really honest, the answer is no, not really, right? Like gas prices are pretty low, like maybe the lowest they've been in about eight years. Uh, people had, you know, good jobs here. The economy has been quite strong, all those things. I said, okay, so that's where we're at now. And I wasn't trying to sell them, but I'm like, if the alternative becomes president um, and it's Biden, you know, at the time we weren't a hundred percent sure who it was going to be because Biden didn't look like he was going to be a good candidate for that. So, you know, we're going back over a year out, probably primary time, you know, when like uh, Gabby smoke and Harris at the primaries, you know, so I said, okay, her. It just stomped her, right? Like yeah, she literally was the worst candidate in the primaries is now our vice president. That's a yeah. whole nother weird situation. But yeah. I said to them, I go, you have to understand if the president changes hands. And I, and I remember saying this, I'm like, you will see $6 gas by the summer of 21. And they were like, no way. Like they just, they couldn't believe it. And Mono Lake, I believe right now is 549. And right here in Mammoth, uh, which typically is the the cheapest gas until you get the Bishop, is four ninety eight, mm. right? And so we're talking the first week of June. By the time gas hits seventy, seventy five, or eighty dollars a barrel, which it's going to do, we will see even if it's premium six dollar plus gas in Mammoth Lakes, wow. and it's like so. Okay, if you take emotion out of it and you just you become the selfish one, like just for a minute, become selfish and be like, what do I need to buy a house? What do I need to feed my family? What do I need to put the most money in the bank so that when the shit hits the fan, I could afford to buy the generator to prevent the Texas ice storm? Like start looking at very micro and you have to ask yourself, who is the best representative that is going to prevent me from losing all those things. Because I'll tell you what, in the state of California, the Democratic Party is not doing any of those things for the people here. And you have to have a significant amount of personal income, which they're going to be, take a big chunk of, to offset the shit show, which has become the state. You know, so obviously a lot of people are moving to different states. So 
you know, for us, we thought by moving to Northern Montana, we could kind of get closer to home and have freedoms that we don't have here. And, you know, Kalispell, for example, is 62%, regardless of home prices and, and all that stuff, Kalispell is 62% less expensive day to day than Mammoth Lakes, 62%. Right. So that's groceries, that's gas, that's, you know, mail surfaces, that's insurance costs. And so when we finally made that decision, and, and this is where it gets tough. Uh, Megan was talking to someone yesterday and, and finally told them that we're heading up to, to Montana. Their response, this is their, the most Californian thing I've ever heard. Uh, they're like, Montana, you need to be really careful. And so Megan's like, ooh, right? Well, why is that? Because it's full of drugs and Republicans. And that was her understanding of anything that was not California. Wow. And it's like, well, what kind of drugs? What does that mean? What, what kind of drugs? What kind of drugs? About? Yeah. yeah and, and, and if you want to say that, well, how about you pull back on your so called white privilege and know that the methamphetamine problem in the state of Montana occurs predominantly in the southwest corner in the Native American reserves. Yeah. So what you're really saying is look out for the drug problem that the Native Americans have in southwestern Montana. Oh, and Republicans. But, you know, to say that makes you look like a real piece of shit. Well, um, anytime you and, and I, I ran into this deal if you're in Southern California, you're from Southern California, and you tell people that you're moving, and this was even four years ago, uh, yeah. people were like, why? Why would you move? Like, yeah. people couldn't wrap their head around, what do you mean? We live in the greatest state in the planet. You live in Newport Beach in the most amazing, like, you know, you know microcosm of everything you want to do. Why would yeah. you move? And, you know, like Texas, when we told people, well, we're moving to Texas, they were like, you know, cowboys. And, and you know, like, it was this idea that we were somehow... Uh, going to a place with a bunch of hicks and to be hillbillies. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, my dad even made a smart-ass comedy. He's like, what, are you going to go out there and be a rancher and be Farmer John like the, uh, you know, like, like the bacon and all that? And I was like, I was like, look at you. I, I like, and what's funny is my dad's from Kansas and he grew up in, you know, I mean, but it's that same mentality. Like, if you're not living in L.A. and you're not from this part of Southern California or, you know, like you said, like, uh, and it's, it's kind of a, a status deal, too. If you're from Southern California, you go to Mammoth. That's like a big deal. Like, oh, we're going up to Mammoth. We have a place in Mammoth. That's like the equivalent, I guess. I'm trying to think of here in Texas and Austin, like uh, like Port A. Like, oh, like uh, no, I would that's, say that's Lake, a shithole. But, yeah, Lake like, Travis to have yeah. a boat. So you yeah, go from the yeah. city. Yeah. Then you go to through Lake our town to go to the lake. Yeah, it was like, yeah. man, like you go to Mammoth. So there was a lot of like prestige with that. But man, it's um, and I'm sure. Uh, a lot of those people that are saying that have never even been to Kalispell, never been to Montana. And no. the fact that you guys are, you know, I, you're I, from just a hop skip. I'd say no way. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it, it's a perception. You're like, have you ever been there? I mean, yeah. it, like, uh, you know, I remember standing in, uh, in Whitefish on the lake and being like, like, you could see the bottom of the lake. It was so clear, you know? And 100%. Like, you know? And, you know, a perfect example, Whitefish, which, you know, people are making fun of right now because it's it's like the liberal hub of Montana, right? Because all the Californians that move there and all the Oregon Washingtonians and uh, Whitefish for as much as it's having a recreational explosion, the the town ordinance is still in place that doesn't allow Airbnbs and Whitefish. 
no single night rentals. Right. So there's like this. So everyone's trying to figure out why is everyone buying up all the houses, even the pieces of shit and whitefish? Well, because they can't do mammoth lakes. They can't, they can't have these townhouses, townhomes or homes that have literally never had a residence. It was bought and immediately turned into a rental property. So these towns have no choice. So it seems like there's tens of thousands of people moving to whitefish right now, but it's really not. There are a lot. Don't get me wrong. A lot of people bought second homes there this past year. But what it is, is people are like, oh, there's minimal hotels and no overnight rentals. The only way that we can be here is we have to have a house and we have to invest. And it kind of creates a conundrum because the market there has exploded. But to put in perspective, there is not not a car to be rented at the airport in Kalispell for the next month. That's just how many people are there just driving around or looking or doing whatever. And the fact that it's still Northern Montana, like you need to fucking get your mind right. If you want to live there for an entire winter. Uh, it's kind of right? like, like uh, people move into Texas. Um, I always tell people like, or, you know, I've, I've met a ton of people that, uh, especially like, what are we, we're in June. So for the last six yeah. months I've met a, met a bunch of people. Oh, where have we moved from California? It's so beautiful. You know, and they, they love it. And I'm like, Wait till Wait August. Till July. Yeah, like August. like we're getting into it. Like it rained this morning at seven a.m. Uh, like pretty yeah. good rain, and it's like ninety degrees. So it's one hundred percent humidity and ninety degrees today. Dude. And uh, it, like it's hot. Like it's hot in here, but I feel like we're pretty conditioned for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the building's yeah, also insulated. It, right? Yeah, and but it's pretty funny to hear people being like, "Oh, I'm like, oh, you're brand new. Wow, enjoy." And then they ask me, they're like, "Oh, well, when you move from California, I'm like." You got to remember, I lived in Florida. I lived in Philly. Yeah. I lived in Kansas City. I lived in godforsaken places when Those in the middle of the summer. Spots. Yeah, like in the middle of summer, we played football. So it was 100 plus degrees when we were out there. Like, it's fine for me. But I can see people that have uh, grown up in California their whole lives and decide that they're going to move to, you know, Austin, Texas or somewhere. And I'm like, welcome. It's going to get fucking welcome. hot. Yeah. And you, you, it's like that thing. Like we always used to laugh. You can identify the people probably in Texas that are like, Ooh, how about that heat? You're like, Oh, okay. You're less than six months. It's, it's going to be like the same people in Montana come January where they're like, Ooh, man, it's cold. And it's like, it's Montana, yeah. right? Like you are like, you are basically, you know, the shoulders of Canada, right? Like yeah. it is, cold as balls along that ridge between southern alberta and northern montana like you gotta get your mind right like you might have a minus 30 january not like a minus 30 january 3rd you will have a minus 30 january and that's just what happens sometimes and and these people are buying this is my favorite because i've been watching the market for a couple years People are buying up in Montana. And you and when we started dealing with a realtor, she said California is actually kind of getting a bad rap in Montana because it's only representing about 20% of who's moving there. She said a large number are people that have moved from the Austin area, Texas born and raised, that want something more, I guess, in their mind, like it used to be in Texas, you know, politically or culturally. Well, you know, so they want the irony of that is. <laughs> Like, like, uh, you got people that are moving out of Texas, uh, to go to something like for, to Montana, like it used to be. And people from California that are moving to Texas being like, man, this is like California was in the seventies, which yes. is it, like the irony of that blows my, just blows my mind. 
blows my mind. And and so it was funny. So California is going to get the bad rap and that's a hangover from the Idaho years, right? So everybody in Montana thinks that it's just California ruining that part of the world, as they say. Um, and then uh, Oregon, Washington, quite a few. But you look at the houses that are getting bought up, you know, uh, you're talking like dirt roads that are like a quarter of a mile long before you get to the highway. Uh, you read the descriptions and there, there's no HOA, right? Which I think people at first are like, sweet, no HOA. No, that means that you have no garbage service and you have to plow that quarter mile long road into your mountain home. That's and, what that means. And you have to maintain the gravel. And you so, have to maintain the yeah, gravel. So, so, so you have to be able to not only to, uh, know how to drag your road, fill potholes, get out there and do all that maintenance. Yeah. And I'm like, you got a skid steer? Uh, what about a track loader? You got anything? What yes. are you doing? A gravel bucket? Like like all of that dirt work stuff? I'm like, and if you don't have that, then you have to pay somebody to come out and fix your road when it gets potted because you know if the rain hits, it's going to get pots. And yep. if you drive in the same, you know, the same track, it gets pots. I mean, it's like uh, they're... <laughs> yeah, I'm on the... Derek, I, get, I have no HOA. And I'm on the entry into my neighborhood. Everyone's got about... Yep acre plus plots and then as soon as you get into the neighborhood the roads are awful like going to loose old home oh man it's awful so i'm lucky well yeah i mean it's um absolutely uh, the the one thing which is pretty fascinating and uh you know coming from california into texas like uh all this stuff you you have to basically know how to run a um you know run some small equipment and how to set this thing up and how to go out and fill this stuff and maintain and realize that like hey if i got a, a quarter of a mile to maintain um, you know, I either got to get somebody to dump me road base or I got to be able to go pick it up and I got a dump trailer. And like now all of a sudden yeah. it's like you're amassing. You're like, now I got a one ton truck. I got a, you know, a 14 foot dump trailer. I got to go get road base and then I got to spread it. And like all these things. Well, I'm just thinking every time John's got to redo the, the main road at the ranch uh, that you've been on. Yep. Boom freaking downpour and by goes the road. Yeah. Well, uh, I got to like, there's, a. um, um so my my old neighbor when we when we first moved into Texas, uh, my old neighbor lived up the road. It was a guy named Tom Dye who since passed away. Uh, he had uh, lived in Texas his whole life, and he had been doing dirt work and like septic for like thirty years. So we end up uh, he comes out, and um, I thought we had a septic issue. So he ends up coming down. He was he lived about four four uh, people up the road. Came down, and he's like. <laughs> He just started laughing. He goes, you're from California? I was like, yeah, but I lived other places. He's like, you're from fucking California. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, do we have a septic leak? Because there was all this water. He's like, it's groundwater, dude. Texas yeah. only absorbs two inches of water, and then everything turns into groundwater. So what I thought in California was a fucking leak was just Texas groundwater. And so like, look, looking at all this, and he was super, super helpful for me in terms of like teaching me how to run equipment and like how to just kind of live here and kind of go through it. And... Um, you know, the lessons were very backhanded and tough, but for the most part, it helped me to be able to do everything around here. And yep. uh, I think for a lot of people that are coming from California and are going up there and buying, oh, this place is out in the wilderness, there's no HOA, I'm a quarter mile and all this, never realizing, and you're going to need about 30 or 40, maybe, eh, call it about 130, 130 and 40. You're going to need a building to house your equipment. You're going to need equipment. You're going to need to be able to do all yep. this. And who's going to run it? Are you going to run it? Do you, you know, are you, yeah. you know, are you going to park your Mercedes and jump in your case or your, you know, uh, uh, you yeah. know, cat fucking, you know, track loader and go out there and grade the, you know, grade the, the road and get it all set up. No, people aren't going to, well, that's do exactly that. it. Cause the cost of lawn maintenance is so much less than the cost of a guy bringing out his dump truck and backhoe 
to fix your road four, five, six times a year. Or these guys that have a mile, they might have a mile of snow removal. You know, yeah. you're like, do you have any idea how much that's going to cost? Like, and this is, and that's not just like, oh, we'll get it done, you know, or we'll do it when it matters. And it's like, oh, you flew into Kalispell for your weekend away to go skiing. And you have a mile of snow that you got to try to get through before you can get to the house that you've neglected for the last four and a half months. And the crazy part is I guarantee they don't have a truck with a blade and they don't know how no, to plow. No way. I mean, so like I, uh, it, it's funny when I lived in Philly and also in Kansas city, uh, my buddy had a, a, a shitty old four truck that was so rusted out and it had a blade yeah. on it. And if I ever had to do any like big type of stuff on a road, because the city would do our front road, but like yeah. our side road this way, and, and I would just go borrow his truck and I would just, you know, cut the whole deal. And that truck was so rusty and such a piece of shit. But I'm like, now you just got to have a rusty truck with a blade on it all the time that's just waiting in the winter. And you haven't been there waiting for four the months winter. and I guarantee you don't have it on a tender and it's not running. <laughs> oh, man. The, uh, yeah. Uh, just the, it's going to be a rough transition up there. Uh, yeah. And, and maybe actually, uh, maybe it does help with home prices. Maybe it's a one kick-ass winter all of a sudden tanks that place because then the people realize well, like... Like one, they're not going to want to go because here's the deal. Like you said, they fly in for their weekend and then you spend the whole weekend just basically plowing your road, getting all your services, uh, you know, uh, setting yep. up their, you know, uh, pipes burst. I mean, it's all these things that you got to winterize that I guarantee people aren't ready for. No, and that, that Northern Montana is a funny place outside of living around the lake, which is all, you know, extremely wealth, extremely well cared for. And then that the little cul-de-sacs up and around the mountain that are the same, like that is well cared for elite uh, organizations running those shows, you know, doing all the plowing, just like Mammoth. But there was such limited amount of that, that the vast majority of people are living in these little pockets. And, you know, so I said to Megan, I'm like, I don't think they realize that that house only looks two miles from Whitefish, but it's basically a homesteader's piece of property, yeah. right? Because the other issue with Montana, a lot of people don't realize is outside of Kalispell and Whitefish, you don't need permits to build a house. Yeah. And it's been that way since forever, you know? So these people just, they had a company and granted with that being said, it was kind of like that where I grew up. So a lot of very capable people built their own homes. But with that being said, there's also a lot of people that, you know, they, they threw up a, a four walls on an uneven slab and now they're trying to sell it for 550 and they can't figure out why, you know, uh, it's not passing the inspection mm -hmm. for that price. And it's like, well, because it was never permitted in the first place. Sure. Like these guys have probably had that piece of property for 45 years and there was nothing in Northern Montana. Like when my, you know, when my family lived in Whitefish almost a hundred years ago, it was a, it was a little logging sawmill community. Yeah. Like it, it was immigrants cutting down trees and living in the wilderness. So the fact that, you know, here we are a hundred years later and we're looking at moving back there. Um, and now it's like, this uber liberal hip place to have a $4 million second home. Yeah. It, it's still Northern Montana. It's still going to be minus 40 in January. You're still going to have socked in low cloud cover and you're probably not going to see shit when you're skiing. So, you know, what you think and what it is are not the same thing, you know, seven months of winter. I'm not even looking forward to that. And that's what I grew up in. Yeah. Right? But I mean, uh, but you guys in your, uh, like, 
for you and Megan, the ability to escape and go like you have friends in different places. I mean, it's not yeah, like, but... you know, you're raising three kids who were in school and all of a sudden like, you know, like I was, uh, you know, Rob Wolf moved uh, to Kalispell and they, they, home, right. they homeschool their daughters, which is super <laughs> cool. And they're big in their jujitsu yeah. deal. But uh, I mean, like, I mean, having to like get up at like 5 a.m. to make sure that everybody's packed, ready to go and the cars warmed up and then checking road conditions, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, and then man. realizing like, like it was funny. I, when I lived in, uh, in Kansas City and Philly, um, I obviously, you know, drove a truck, but like uh, there were some days where, you know, shit, I was like, I got to take my big truck to work because, right. uh, you know, like the weather or the, you know, so much snow or whatnot. But uh, there's a whole, whole like different, um, I guess you could say like set of things that you have to worry about, especially like I got get the kid. Oh, is that me? Okay. Um, I got to get the kids to school. I got to do this. I mean, there's just a million different things. And uh, yeah, seven months. I mean, it's a beautiful place for five months and then you get into it and the yep. winter's great for about the first two months. And then all of a sudden you're like, shit, this ain't going away yeah. anytime soon. It's not going away. And, you know, it was, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, the top of Blacktail Resort. So, you know, for people too, geographically, I have to understand my house right now is at 8,000 feet, right? Where I'm sitting in this chair, I'm probably at 8,001. That is 2,000 feet higher than the peak of Whitefish Mountain that they ski on, right? So here in the Sierra Nevadas, we're so high. Like, uh, you know, the peak here is, you know, just over 11,000, the base of the mountain's nine. So when you look at say Kalispell or Whitefish in particular, where that ski resort is, I think the base is four and the peak is 62 or something. Like that whole area is so much lower geographically and the, the cloud and the moisture sits in that slightly, uh, well, you don't get the wind, you don't get the Sierra wave blowing out it's the constant like my, cloud. It, it's not like Wyoming. Definitely not like Wyoming. And I, you know, and like I know people, you went to school in Wyoming and I know you yeah, don't want to go back to Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming is, that is a cold, bitter, blue place to live. It is the, uh, it is the prettiest, non-cloudy, coldest place I've ever lived. Um, it was, that place was a trip. Like, uh, yeah, that was a minus 40 for the month of January place. And, you know, it was weird because you're at 7220 you know, you're high up, never gets cloudy, never rains. It's a high desert and it's freezing cold. It's, it's a brick of ice. Um, you know, and there is a mass migration to Wyoming, you know, not just Jackson, like everyone has already bought up Jackson as a, is basically the equivalent to an offshore tax haven, right? Like, you know, everyone's like, man, why, why is Jackson hole so expensive? And it's like, well, because it's the next best thing to put your money in the Cayman Islands, right? Yeah. Like no that's why Jackson is, it is, it's a giant, it's a giant tax shelter and no one really lives there. It's just, you know, a bunch of homes and some skiing, but people are now thinking they need to do that with the whole state. And it's like, you have any idea what that desolate monster is like, you know, come like late November, you know, it, it, it kind of rolls in and someone just turns the temperature off like that entire Northern part into Dakotas, Wyoming, Southern Montana, you get a little reprieve in Northern Montana, but South, Southeastern Montana, they just turn the, the power off and go on vacation. They turn it back on in April, yeah. right? Like that's basically what happens. Man, we, we skied in Jackson hole and uh, it was uh, not only was it cold and it was rough, 
like the, the somebody asked me once, like, what was it like skiing there? I'm like, yeah, you, you go to concerts? And they're like, yeah, it was like, it reminded me of going and seeing Slayer and Megadeth. It yes. was like that type of like, you show up and you know you're in for a fight. It's not like, hey, I'm going to see Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue would probably be a pretty good time. Or like some yeah. like uh, Metallica or whatnot. Like you show up to a Slayer show, you're leaving with like, there's going to be blood. And like I felt there's, like when we, skied, gonna be blood, man. when we skied in, in yeah. Wyoming, it was like, I mean, I remember we skied the big three up in, uh, in Banff and that whole deal. And yep. like that was, uh, I thought that was pretty amazing and very inhospitable. But like Jackson Hole was like, fuck, dude, like this is some serious shit. Like this is like, this is uh, pushing uh, the boundaries of, you know, like of your skills. And if you fuck up, you're going to get hurt. And when you go down, you're going to hit a rock. And it was, uh, yep. yeah, the only way I equated it was a Slayer show. That's actually a really good analogy because like Mammoth has areas where you can get yourself into trouble, but the way it's become, because it's so curated now um, for the, the mass user, it is the biggest, steepest, easiest mountain I've ever skied. What, uh, I so, mean, uh, we, we used to ski, God, what was it? Was it, uh, was it nine twenty three and all those, the ones on the backside? Yep. Uh, so 23 is going to be like dropouts, wipeouts, yep. paranoids, um, with 22, it's going to take you up to Lincoln, which you have to have your shit together for, yeah. right? Um, and and nine will get you into some decent terrain. But it's like as soon as they started grooming off the top of the mountain, everyone had an out. And, you know, your generation of mammoth is the same generation as Megan's godmother. You used to have to drop, literally yeah. drop into Cornus. That's yeah, why it, it was called Cornus. It was nine to ten foot drop. And, uh, and I remember easily, and it was like a rite of passage. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, like we would stand up there and it was pretty interesting. You, you come up and you would see people taking their poles and trying to yeah, break, the, like, you know, like shatter the front and there'd be all these pole marks and people were just the, trying the to like. The mountain is famous for that. Yeah. And so we would hit the yeah. deal and you would just kind of like try to break away enough to give yourself a slot so you could actually see where you were going because if yep. you went to go look over and like nobody was wearing helmets. Like, I think it's hilarious. Yeah, My brother will send me pictures wearing helmets. But like jumping yeah. into that thing and like you got to hit it and keep going because people are coming behind you. Like, yeah. and, and, and that was a rite of passage. I mean, I, I remember as a, as a kid, like that was our deal. Like, you know, coming yep. off the cornice, that was something that was big for us. 100%. You know, it's a lot like, you know, jumping into Jackson, which they still do, you know, and it's uh, like Cabarrus Coir. And, you know, but that's how Mammoth used to be. Like, I have never gotten to see that rugged, uninhibited Mammoth energy that megan and her godmother saw where you had to ski you were you you had to be considered of an expert level to ski expert terrain yep. and you know in the time that i've been here it's a it's a giant playground of like easy peasy photo opportunities unless you know where to go and mm -hmm. if you know where to go it gets very dangerous very quickly yep. um but compared to say Jackson or Tarhi or some of these other like mountains and, and Colorado's in the pretty much the same category for the most part is, is mammoth is, but like some of these other mountains where they haven't, they haven't softened the outer edge of what made them famous. Hmm. Right. So if you're going to go ski these mountains, it's assumed that you read the sign and if it has two black diamonds on it or whatever, that that is really what it means. It, it, it isn't a warning as much as it is a guide of ability level. Or you, you know, see but, the sign with uh, don't ski out of bounds with like the dude, like upside down with the skis and like going stuck off Stuck in mountain. a tree well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and like, you know, and I, I remember, yeah. I, I think I told you when we went to Jackson, they were like, don't ski out of bounds because that was our deal, no. man. And Mammoth, we always skied yeah. out of bounds. 
And yeah. uh, the first thing they told us is don't ski out of bounds because there's craters and crevices that are like 10,000 feet deep. And you'll go in and we'll never find you. Uh, skiers disappear all the time and want to fuck around out of bounds. And we were like, okay, yep. I guess we're not skiing out of bounds. And that's exactly it. And you come to respect it. It's like when we were skiing in Alta this year, even though it was really bad snow when we were over there, you could just see that the expected level was so much different for terrain. You know, if you were going to take the skis off and hike up and drop into one of the chutes off the west side, it's like, well, it's assumed by everybody involved that the only reason you're there is because the terrain matches your skill level. Yeah. Right. And you're where not doing it for the gram, you're not doing it for the gram. Uh, you know, it's too dangerous. It's, it's literally too dangerous to, to be able to stop and mess about. And we just don't have that right now. Like even up on top of Lincoln, which can be, you know, if you ski the shoots of Lincoln off 22 here, it can be really, really treacherous. And it's just, it's not, they've, they've found a way to make it basically passable for a really low entry level. Is, and is, is that because weird. the quality of the skier isn't as high or people are just, there Oh yeah. Fucking it's party. not as high at all. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's two things that we see. One, all the snacks at the cash register were replaced with airplane size bottles of booze this year. Right. Which that's super weird. Like talk about perpetuating alcoholism in young children. Um, so that was strange to see. And then the other is, is the general entry level of the people up here is so low that, okay. So our generation, it'd be like any sport, like equate it to the weight room. We would be embarrassed to do things so poorly in the weight room that people would laugh at us in our generation, right? Like you just yeah. wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go into the weight room and do some sort of weird funky movement and think it's acceptable because those that have been around would be like, what are you doing? So in the skiing world, what we're seeing is because the, the majority of people here, their entry level is so low, nobody really calls them out on it. So if someone <laughs> like takes their snowboard off, and sits on it like a sled and slides down a run, you know, one or two people in the chair will be like, oh, look at that guy. What a, you know, douchebag, right? But in terms of the general population, their actual response might be, oh, yeah, that's so much easier than what I was going to try to do, right? And so you get this like mass amount of low quality humans doing low quality shit and ruining a high quality thing. Well, um, fuck, I'm totally blanking on the name. Like we watched, um, all those ski movies with the narrator. Like, uh, oh, like it. Jeff Stump or no. like Warren Miller. Uh, yeah. Um, that's what it was. Yeah. Like all the Warren Miller movies. Yeah. That was like uh, our number one deal. We would watch these Warren Miller and he, he was this, uh, old ski bum who got cameras and these dope skiers and he would like like narrate these guys just doing the most insane shit. So we would get these movies, yep. VHS and watch these Warren Miller, you know, and then the minute we got out there, there was like this idea of like, Hey, we're going to try to do something that's like uh, worthy of a Warren Miller film. And like, right. that was the, like the level of acceptance. Like you didn't dress like an asshole, you know, like I mean, do you remember the one dude who had the Mohawk that was like seven dude, feet tall? Uh, Mammoth local. That's Glenn yeah. Plake. Yep. Yeah. Right? dude. We, we used to see that guy yeah. and that guy was in Warren Miller stuff. And that was so a huge was, deal. Here's what's funny about that. I was just going to use him as my reference because Glenn Plake is still on Mammoth Mountain half the season, 
right? So Dude, he's up I, here. I, he's got to be 60 or 70. Maybe pretty 60. close, you know, and, and like super athlete now, right? Like he was a wild man when he was younger, but now he, he rides like, a, he does like the 503 in the summer, which is like a 500 mile uh, bike ride. He's a hardcore uh, gearhead, right? So like rock crawlers, high performance cars, has a host, a TV show. And like in his early fifties, flat out won masters nationals for water skiing slalom skiing like this wow. so the guys like this still crushes it right so he was like again like yourself one of my idols so i got to meet him this year through megan and got my photo taken with him it was rad right but what people don't realize is this is a guy who was like oakley and k2 yeah. and like super sponsored in the 90s he had uh, he, he would he wear hot famous. pink uh like he would wear a yep. hot pink suit he had the deal and the razor blades and dude uh, okay right. so i'm 44 so when i was probably like 30 years ago we would see that guy on the mountain and that yep. like 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 I just remember like seeing that guy and being like holy shit that's like the coolest cat like we would see him in like the Warren Miller films and yep. uh, he was out there fucking like just not only killing it but would do aerials and jumps and like spin shit off and you know like uh, um, he yeah. created like the big mountain freestyle movement right like him and Scott Schmidt and then McConkey came after and you know what's really crazy is to put it in perspective and it happened to me this year I was going up 23 and uh and I recognized him because I recognized how he skis but here's all these guys ass sliding down the mountain taking selfies and being generally shitty right like that's what's happening all around me and then I look up and I see this dude not flamboyant like he doesn't have his hair up you know he doesn't wear a helmet right because he's old school yeah, so yeah. that's how you can always kind of spot him yeah. so he's got like a toque on goggles and I see him kind of drop off the top of 23 and I and I immediately could tell it was him because I've seen him ski before yeah. and he just rips this like effortless line through this like super gnarly shit and he never stops skiing he never breaks he never takes a breath he never looks back up at what he did I just see him like drop in and just do this perfect line all the way down kind of up and over this like little cornice cliff and just drops off it and it was so smooth and perfect and then he was gone and in my mind, I'm like, that is literally one of the fucking legends of our sport. And no yeah. one even knows that that guy just shredded this line like he's done a million times. And he didn't stop you know? and take a picture. He just fucking was epic. I found. And, and, and he was literally just because, epic. Because here, here's the best part. Uh, it's, it, it's just what he does. It's nothing special to write home. He's not going home and telling his wife like, oh, man, I found this killer shoot and I ran this perfect yeah. line. It's just what he does. And uh, just, he goes out there and just, I mean, dude, the, the fact that he still skis and like, yeah. I, I just remember being like a kid and seeing that dude. And like, I just remember hot pink. He had the Mohawk up like maybe like three feet and he would wear yeah. the razor blades and dude yep. just killing it down the mountain. And us as kids being like, ah, oh, it's the coolest dude ever. Found an article How that about, calls him the Frank ahead. Sinatra of skiing. The Frank Sinatra yeah, game go up, it makes go up. sense, man. Yeah, yeah, there he is. God damn it, he yeah. And you know what's crazy <sighs> with uh, with Megan's ski team this year that she coached all year. At the end of the year, it accumulated to like uh, a competition, and so here's like Blake, who's like the man, especially in this region. Yeah, oh yeah. And the head coach for the team just went, "Hey, would you be interested in being our guest judge for these like little kids skiing?" And he's like, "Sure." And he literally just, no money involved, no nothing. Here's the guy that we know to be 
you know, the legend of our sport sitting there as a guest judge quietly on the rock. And he is evaluating these ski runs. And it's because to this day in his late fifties, he's still like, this is the greatest sport I've ever done. And he could be the dickhead. He could be the guy that still wants to beat the social media drum to stay relevant. But to him, relevance is actually working with influencing and trying to get another generation not to forget how rad the sport actually is. Yeah, he was like the you know? anti uh, Lance Burkhart. Remember Big from North Shore? Yeah, he was like the anti like uh, Laird Hamilton played in this movie uh, called North Shore for people of yeah. Derek and I's age, um, like especially yeah. grew up in Southern California. Like that was our like, it, and like I watch it now. My I made my kids watch it. They're like this sucks. I'm like shut up. When we were kids, this was fucking great. And yeah. uh, um, so uh, Laird Hamilton plays Lance Burkhardt, who's like this arrogant surfer. And so like there was always this thing of like, oh, you don't want to be the Lance Burkhardt of that. But that, yeah, dude, that's that's so killer that that guy still skis and you still see him. Yeah. Like I, I kind of just figured he fucking, I, I hadn't even thought about it. Probably just grew his hair out and shaved it normal and was an accountant now and had this bitching thing yeah. in, this, in the 80s and the 90s. The fact that he's still out there crushing, it's awesome. Still ripping, man. Like you'll go up to Main Lodge and there'll be this like, like uh, I can't remember what they're called, like a class C plus whatever uh, uh, motorhome looking thing. And it has like the giant like Mohawk on the side and that's him. He just parks it and does his like publicity stuff for the mountain and skis all day. And just, he's, you know, for the best way I'd describe it outside of probably getting paid some cash to do some backcountry stuff or to go over to France, which he probably didn't do this year at all, obviously, you know, he's just, he's like an ambassador, you know, to the sport of skiing. You know, because he was, you know, that's like, it was cool back then when there was a little mystique to it, right? Like before social media, like you had to kind of be a ripper that, uh, you know, had to be good enough to be in like that top five group that a Warren Miller, which is crazy to think that Megan has a personally signed Warren Miller Mammoth Lakes book on her, on her counter, right? Signed to her by the legend. Um, But it's kind of crazy. Like you were spotted. Then you had to prove yourself and then you were selected into this group that made ski movies that people would pay to go to theaters in like Aspen or Banff or wherever to watch. And, and so I'm kind of torn, right? Because although now I'm starting to clearly see that social media's ability to give access to all these people with potential has definitely raised the bar. Like people are doing shit now that I never thought would see people do in, in our sports, uh, in track and field, for example, in the men's shot put, like there's so many good people in skiing. There's so many good people that, you know, it's sort of like the four minute mile when one person does it, uh, then all of a sudden it's achievable. Social media has kind of ripped that fabric, right? So you're seeing people yeah. all over the world doing such crazy shit that you're like, oh, okay, I guess we have to do that too, you know? And so, although I think that's super important, I do miss the fact that, you know, these guys were like, I guess idol would be too strong of a word, but you know, people definitely idolize them. They put their posters up on the wall, things like that. But they were, there came like a personality or an energy to that generation that we don't see very much now. And it wasn't that they thought they were better or anything like that. It was just like, I'd almost call it camaraderie because it was such a tight group of people trying to do a thing that social media sometimes I think washes that away. Like you could be all completely by yourself with maybe one or two other people. And because of social media, you can get the image out there, get the video out there for people to appreciate. 
but you didn't meet a group of like super rad dudes on that Saturday and just do crazy shit. Yeah, like but it's wasn't dumb, it more localized? Like growing up in Southern California, skiing at Mammoth, like we knew who Glenn was, and like uh, you know, like because it was uh, like Surfer Magazine and Ski Magazine and all that stuff we'd see at the grocery store, and that dude was yep. always had some like you know is either an Oakley ad or he was on the cover or whatnot. So like kind of growing up, but I can't imagine there were kids in like the Midwest who were looking at ski magazines and like seeing this dude or, or got a chance. So I wonder if it was more localized where now it's like, you know, you follow adventure as a hashtag on Instagram and you like get this like yeah. amazing fucking perception of like what's going on. I mean, I, I, I looked at Instagram uh, this morning and like there was an adventure tag and it was actually in the Swiss Alps of somebody like hiking something that I was like, holy <sighs> shit. Like, dude, I mean, I and, and they just had a pack you know, high, uh, high socks, boots, shorts, and a t-shirt. And like, all of a sudden they were like on the side of this mountain. And I'm like, Holy, where is that? And more importantly, why, why aren't I there right now? Well, that, that's a good question. And, and so it makes me wonder, like, you know, so we're the same age, you know, so maybe we have a different perception of what you just said. Like, why am I not there right now? Because I remember as a kid flipping through powder magazine or, or ski magazine, obviously as a kid that was, obsessed with water skiing as well to to meet you know who's now since passed but to meet my idols like andy mapple or or you know the next middle generational guy named marcus brown who was the videographer for megan's commercial this year which blows my mind because he was a world champion water skier who's also tied into glenn plague but you know it's like when we used to see that in the magazine once a month or whatever it was or watch a video like you wanted to turn 18, pack your shit and go to Mammoth Lakes from small town Canada because you wanted to to go to that place where this epic thing was happening. Um, and, and so you still have, because I do too, you have that reaction on social media when you see the hiker, you know, in the Alps or, you know, someone in Majev standing in this pastoral farms in the summer when the ski hills closed. And, and you see that and you're like, why am I not there? But what I fear is there's a ton of people in this next generation, this most current generation, they don't have that thought because they don't have to, because they are living psychologically through the imagery that they're seeing. And you're like, well, why don't you want to go and check that out? And they're like, oh, maybe. And it's like, why maybe? Yeah. Like, that's where you should go right now. Dude, I tell you Matt know? Vincent this. Um... You know, like whenever uh, like he goes on his trips or whatever, like Iceland, and he'll post these pictures. Like I'm the first one to be like, dude, I love. Uh, like I got three kids um, and a wife. Yep. I mean, it's very hard for me to pack up and go to Iceland, uh, even yep. though I tell my wife we're going to go all the time. Um, but like when I see Matt post that stuff, I always text him. I'm like, dude, I love seeing this. Not because it's right. like a FOMO deal, but like it's just it. Uh, it allows me to see like and to mentally think like, man, I want to take my kids there. Like I want to see that. And, uh, and I love to know that, like, I have friends out there that are doing really epic, fun stuff. like Epic uh, shit, man. Yeah, like, uh, not just like, oh, so what'd you do? Oh, well, I sat at home. You know, it's like, dude, like, that stuff is, uh, I don't know, it, it's inspiring, man. Like, I, I uh, like the social media thing, I, I think, for some people, maybe it's a generational deal where, um, like you're saying, we look at it, we're like, man, like, this is someplace I want to go. I want to save that because, like, if I get the opportunity, I want to go to this place. Not necessarily, yep. like, I want to go to that place to take this picture because I don't give a shit right. if anybody ever knows if there's a picture. But I yeah. want to stand on the side of that mountain. Kind of like when we went to Oktoberfest. My biggest regret on Oktoberfest is that we weren't in Lederhosen. 
Gotta go back, I, dude. I want to go back. I told my wife uh, and my and the kids. I'm like, dude, I'm getting you guys the outfits. We're gonna go. We're gonna totally do the whole fucking Griswold show up in Lederhosen and go crush uh, Munich in uh, Oktoberfest. Well, but like, you gotta schedule two days. One day with the family, and then you and I will go round two and find our guys, the party uh, guys that are standing on the table, <laughs> so breaking glasses. So the uh, uh, Tex and I taught a seminar in Nuremberg. And yep. it was during Oktoberfest, so then we like, hey, we jump in uh, like on the train and we drive down, or we take the train down to Munich. And so we walk out, and like you know, we're in like the Munich Square, which is so cool because, uh, like, if you know history, you know, like um, you know, the rise of the Nazi Party was in the beer halls of the Munich. And like, we went yep. into these places, and you can see where they like chiseled. They didn't remove the murals; they just chiseled off the Nazi stuff. And so no we, kidding. you know, yeah, su- just super amazing. And then you go out to the parade ground where, you know, Hitler and like, you know, those huge parade grounds of when they would like have the big shows. For the, I mean, that's where that thing is. Yeah. So having like seen that bit of history and going, it was pretty impactful. And so we walk into this like, you know, huge tent that's probably what like 10 football fields and there's like seven polka bands. And like we walk in, we don't have seats, you know, like as people buy like uh, tickets for tables and uh, like Texas, like, hey, where are we going to go? I'm like, just hang out and watch, dude. We got to find our people. And then, like, a yeah. few minutes later, all of a sudden, I see this, like, beer stein shatter, and these dudes start fighting and, like, battling. I'm like, those are our guys. And we went over, and they were uh, a Americans and Canadians playing uh, hockey in a league that was in Europe. And wow. so, like, I roll over, and I'm like, these are our people. And then we ended up just, like, rocking it with these dudes, so much so that uh, they all got booted out, and we got our own table. Well, all because the power, John tipped the waitress. Yeah. And she, nice. the guys were not tipping. Well, well so in uh, in Europe, tipping is not like American etiquette. And so when the lady brought us over these huge beers, I think it was like 40 euro. I think I gave her like 60 euro. And I, I used the Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, uh, keep them coming. The minute you see this thing get low, bring me another one. And when, uh, when I pass out, bring me two more, you know. And we got yes. that tip. And like instantly, <laughs> the minute that our, our beer signs got low, she brought us new ones and we rocked it. Yeah, and they are, there's a transition. Daytime is like open table, open seating, and then you have to have tickets and reservations for 5 p.m. Yeah. on. And as soon as we hit that transition, she just called us over and sat us down in a reserve table and kept the party rolling for yeah. us, the other guys. And yeah, they, they booted them all out, and then we ended up at a table with like a bunch of Russians. Remember, it was like a bunch of like... Jesus. Yeah, it, it was... Oh, it was weird, adventure. Yeah, it, it was like, uh, like you know, um, I'm not a... Uh, God, what's the name of that country dude who's real short? Um, Kenny Chesney. He uh, he he's <laughs> sorry, sorry. He's got a song where he's like, well, we, Brad's Paisley also very short. Well, so he has a song where he's like, I went out last night. He's like, I was Brad Pitt's brother. I was a senator's son. And he's basically just telling like all the lies that they told everybody. That's what I felt like happened to us because we were like talking to these people that were Russians. They're these Germans. They were Amer- like, it, it was just this, you know, plethora of fucking just drunk idiots. And we had a hell of a time. Including us. Yeah. Into, including us. Uh, yeah. It was I good. can't wait to travel again. Uh, dude. Oh, I know, right? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, just the ability to go somewhere and, like, hear a different language and try something where, like, I don't know if this food's going to be any good, but let's give it a shot. Like. 100%. You know? I mean, that's. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was always cool to find people that love to lift heavy weights. I know we were teaching the seminar and we were able to connect, but there were so many people all over the world that just wanted to be strong. And that was always a great feeling, just showing up, knowing people are come to us to learn something. 
about yeah, lifting? Uh, one, um, so we had some friends over on Saturday night uh, to have their kids over and you know go swimming and shit. And uh, one of the guys is uh, turning fifty. And he's like, you know, I'd like to do something epic for my 50th. And my joke is like, why do you got to wait till you're 50 to do something epic? Like, what do you right. want to do? And he's like, I'd like to like go to like Africa to hunt. I'm like, we got a dude in Namibia. I heard the hunting in Namibia is pretty dope. Um, the, and he was like kind of going through these other things. He's like, where could you go? And I'm like, by far the coolest thing I've ever seen, and I've been forever jealous, is Jared Allen, who I played with in Boomer Grigsby. Yep. They went to New Zealand and hunted red stags. And like these things wow. are just these massive in the picture they sent me. I just like my heart stopped and I was like, thanks for the fucking invite, you selfish fucks. But like I, I showed <laughs> yeah, him the right. pictures and I was like, man, this is if, 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 if I want to pick any place in the world and like he's like, it's great. And then the, the next question is, will New Zealand let us in with COVID? And I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't even know. Like the yeah. fact that that's a real like you, you know, like here's a, you know, sitting around having drinks, like dreaming Whoa. of going some epic. I just pulled one up on Google. Of a Holy red shit. Dude, the only negative, and this is uh, this is what Jared and them said, is um, they they went for like whatever two weeks. They got like um, I want to say they were like seven or eight days in, and they shot a big one. The problem is you can't bring the meat back, so they stayed an extra oh. week to try to consume as much of the elk as po- or the stag as possible. Did they at least like? Well, keep they the- yeah, they got the head, but you're not allowed to bring the meat back. So like the, the funny thing was, is they were like, if you ever hunt, try to kill something the first day and stay for like two weeks and just eat nothing but the food. This gnarliest antler set I've ever seen on any animal. This is incredible. Dude, they are by far the most amazing things I've ever seen, but I don't know if we can even get into that country. I know, uh, Perry, who does our branding in the UK, they pretty much like listed countries by colors of places that in the UK that you can visit and America is like all red. (laughs) It's like a no go. Yeah, New Zealand's pretty much got us off the radar, and I don't know when that's going to come back. It's, it's Canada's the same right now, right? Like, Canada's got these extreme. Uh, Didn't they? Um, uh, my mom was telling me that they were nervous to have people go to polling places, so they were going to suspend elections. Yeah, it's funny how that all seems to start to show up, right? When pretty much guaranteed that the current leadership of a country is not going to make it through the next round of elections. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's funny how that shit starts to all start to overlap, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if that was uh, true or not because I, I hadn't necessarily looked it up, but I figured you would know. But yeah, that seems... Yeah, uh, I know that there is an election coming up. I just don't know how far out it is. Hmm. Um, but it, it will be a tough one. Well, you know what? If the current prime minister gets reelected yet again after tanking an economy and basically allow, and that's prior to the pandemic, tanking an economy and then uh, basically being so disorganized that they didn't get the vaccine, a first world country doesn't get the vaccine because he put too low of a bid, right? And now it sounds like, you know, a couple comments have been made publicly that the reason why they were showed hesitancy in getting the vaccine in Canada prior to the election was because they feared that Trump would use it as a negotiating point for, you know, international commerce. And it's like, okay, so you didn't pay full price to a president that you didn't agree with because you were afraid that somehow he could use it, use it as negotiating leverage Meanwhile, my dad, who's in his 70s, has still not received his second vaccination, although he is 
three years cancer positive. Like, do you have any idea how poor you have to run a first world country to pull that off? You know, meanwhile, was the U.S. has vaccinated, what, 270 million people and going to you know? have a lottery in California for it. I mean, it's uh, like Canada uh, has done yeah. everything wrong when it comes to like there's a lot of countries you can argue maybe didn't do a good enough job like england seemed pretty extreme but, but they were a confined island so the idea of a pandemic that could have been horrific breaking out on an island seems like oh yeah maybe you should probably be pretty aggressive with how you handle it until you know what's going on but canada you know when you have like one of the largest countries and the most uninhabited per square mile the fact that they are still using roadblocks and uh, police enforcement to prevent travel 15 months in is asinine. Don't like you it think it's, it, it, I mean, we can, I don't know. I mean, we'll look both sides of this, but uh, I have a hard time believing that's incompetence. Like, I mean, and if it is it's too then, purposeful, right? Yeah, it's too yeah. purposeful. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. Like it's, um, I, there's this idea, I think, that there's some grand conspiracy, and when you really look at it, it's just fucking level of incompetence that's so high that people can't even... And it's actually more comforting to think of something nefarious with some evil Bond-like yeah. villain pulling the strings than the truth, yeah. which is they're just fucking incompetent, and uh, Trudeau, it, like like the dude, that, that guy jumped the shark so many times, the fact that he's yes. still in power blows my fucking mind. Well, take the... Uh, what is it now, the... I'm, premier of Ontario? Ah, it doesn't matter. His brother was the mayor that uh, did all the crack and became yeah. famous on, yeah, right? So yeah. Yeah. that that guy's brother is now running the show in Ontario. And uh, I read an interesting, you know, a lot of stuff, you always have to be careful because it's, can you confirm it or not? But during the pandemic, someone said that his personal wealth increased 10 times. And it's like, well, how do you increase your personal wealth during a pandemic as a politician unless you are doing things that are incentivized, right? So, you know, people are like, wow, he wouldn't do that. And it's like, well, yeah, his brother also did a shitload of crack cocaine, right? Wasn't he it was down in, in like Detroit or something? Like, uh, Oh, yeah, like in brothels yeah. and shit yeah, and just yeah. getting like, yeah, smashed, right? Um, <laughs> and so when you look at all this stuff, and you look at like just Canada and how it's been done, it's, I know people love a good conspiracy theory, but more times than not, it's obliv like it's, it's oblivious consent followed by people that are really good at taking advantage. Yeah. Right. So you get a bunch of people are like, well, I guess this is what we do now with the masks, blah, blah, blah. And someone that is in the background is like, okay, Oh, I don't know, like Jeff Bezos. It's like, how do I make people stay at home so that I can sell shit to their house at a level that's never been done in history? And even though everybody's brainwashed to think they can't leave their house, I still will have an entire warehouse factory full of employees going to work every day. How do I pull this off? Oh, I know. I'm going to spend $250 million cash on the fucking Washington Post. And I'm going to have one of the largest newspapers in the yep. country tell everybody that they need to stay in home or they'll die. Oh, by the way, buy a lot of shit from Amazon. And let's start releasing direct to prime movies that would have gone to a movie theater. 
Uh, the other one, and I'm surprised nobody's talking about, especially with a lot of the uh, you know COVID justice warriors. Uh, what about the uh, environmental impact of the mass? Oh, the, the garbage in the ocean, dude. Dude, the amount of times I'm walking through, like I just went to CVS, I picked up two mass that were just yep. on, randomly in the parking lot and threw them away. I'm like, the amount of mass that I see, and like this, basically like the gross pollution aspect. I'm like, uh, where are all the COVID justice warriors on this? Like, why aren't we recycling these uh, these fucking paper masks that I see everywhere? Um, everywhere. Like it, like and, and people at the beach. Like I saw some dipshit in the water with one. I'm like, that thing's not fucking leaving that ocean. Like I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, like uh, where? Like he was just giving it a ride to its final destination. I, like, I could see if everybody was sitting at home and busted out their. Uh, um, sewing machines and made cloth masks yeah. and they were washing them like, like my wife did yeah. who refused to buy the paper ones. Uh, Same. I, I, yeah. I, I, wa- yeah. I have a washable reusable. Yeah. And because I, she's I, like I the waste. I can't buy it. And then the fucking just the paper ones and I'm like, God damn it. Like I, I keep a, uh, a, a cloth one if, if I fucking have to wear it if I go in somewhere. But now, yeah. I mean, Same. like the last place was uh, Whole Foods was like the last bastion of that and I walked in the other day and I was like, I'm not fucking wearing it. Oh yeah, yeah. I just I stopped Done. a couple of weeks ago with them. Uh, well, they there's usually a guard posted out front of Whole Foods, yep. and then the moment I, I went there at eight a.m., so right when it opened for some breakfast, there was no guard. Ever since then, I guess. Yeah, they're like they're not paying somebody to sit there and read. Well, I mean, you know, what's he gonna do? Bar you? Tell you can't go into this place of business? Tell him to go fuck himself? Yeah, right. Well, and not at that corporation. I tell you what, it's a strange thing that we're seeing, right? Um, the you know California right off the bat, and this one just got to- like hundred. So we got this fifty million dollar, one hundred fifteen million dollars total lotto in California, but nobody wants to ask the question about the fact that Newsom paid a Chinese company two billion dollars to buy five billion masks at the start of the shit show. Now, people are like, well, why would he do that and not buy an American company? Well, probably because he was able to get $5 billion instead of $4 billion, right? Some Was he giving them away or was he selling them? Huh. Selling them. Yeah, selling them yeah. for sure. People also don't talk about the fact that Newsom is owners in a PPE company, yeah. right? And the fact that that company that he bought the $5 billion masks from, it's not even a mask company. It was an electrical transit company based out of China that he already had a contract for to build electrical buses, and the contract got shelved, so he gave him $2 billion to start making masks. Like, how or, is that not, like, or that a he, legitimate uh, conversation? He, he declared his, uh, what was it, um, uh, his wine, vineyard? Uh, his winery, yeah, his vineyard, what is it, Plump Jack, as a... Um, Important business, or what? What was it? Um, essential business. Essential yeah. business, and uh, they he also gave. I think it was like essential business status for his kids' private schools. So I mean, like, dude, he it, it's uh, it's straight up, man. Like, shyster. Uh, well, it's what we're seeing is classic French Revolution. You know, like, oh, if they're yeah. too poor to eat bread, let them eat cake, which is what we're yep. seeing with him. And like, I'll, I'll, I thought the irony of this was uh, Camilla Harris went down when she was in Guatemala. Actually, had somebody commission cookies with her likeness on it and she was giving out cookies to people with her like that looked like her and i'm like this is what i hear i hear yeah. this and so i i like was laughing and the first thing i thought of is like oh the two or you have a two porty bread let them eat cake and here's let them eat cake here's the picture with on i'm like dude we're it, it's just dude it's the french revolution man this is marie antoinette 
Well, it, and we start, we saw it here right off the bat. Like, so obviously previous to the actual shit show, they closed all outdoor venues and stuff. So like a year ago, this place closed in March, right? So they closed early, blah, 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 because of the pandemic. And then there was an announcement this past summer that was made that Altair Ski Resorts, which owns Mammoth Mountain, made some massive financial donations to some uh, democratically supported organizations. And I mean, millions. And we were like, shit, that's a bold move. We we're like, wonder why they did that. Oh, imagine that in state purple in California, the only thing that stayed open was the ski resort. So our entire town was shut. Couldn't have hotels, couldn't have Airbnbs. Our ski hill never closed. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting move. So from a business perspective, you're like, good on you for uh, paying to keep the mountain open. But at the same time, you're like, that's all it took to cure or to fight away a pandemic was money. Is, yeah. is that really it? Like but, I could have cured COVID with a million dollars. That's But fantastic. how do you keep Mammoth open without the infrastructure and the ancillary businesses around it? Like if you the grocery store isn't open. Yeah, like yeah. the grocery store is not open. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, there's... Fuck, I don't even, I mean, are there hotels? Yeah, there, there has to be hotels yeah, in Mammoth. You know how they did it? This will blow your mind. This is such classic bullshit. So an uber liberal like workaround. Uh, so the rule with the hotels was they couldn't be, once they were allowed to be open a little bit, they couldn't exceed 40% occupancy. But 40% occupancy is done weekly in in california in a lot of places so whatever your weekly occupancy represents that 40 percent, the hotels just started closing mondays and tuesdays and having full occupancy on the weekend nice it's good job yeah, good job i mean it's uh, like I, it's, it's crazy no yeah. i mean it's it's uh like, like you said, like, yeah, you enjoy a good conspiracy, as do we. But at the end of the day, it's, I think it's uh, opportunist. You know, I mean, it's, it it's kind of like, uh, um, you know, think about the riots or, you know, people going down yeah. and protests or whatever. You're going to have people that are there legitimately to protest something, but you're going to have a whole bunch of people that are standing in the back just waiting for a bottle to break so they can shatter uh, a window and go in and get a whole bunch of fucking Air Jordans or, you know, coach purses or this. I mean, there's... Yeah. Uh, in, in every situation, man, you're always going to have opportunists that are waiting for this shit to go down so that they can go in and fucking and, you know, make money and, and uh, um, you know, somehow come up on this whole deal. Yeah. In California, uh, out on, down south, there there was actually some legit crews that followed those riots. Um, some video came out and you guys probably saw it, but these vans would roll up. And they would use circular saws and the, like these guys were good. And they were just, as soon as the riot erupted, they hit a bunch of surfboard shops and they just cut a square doorway right in the brick side of buildings. Another crew would pop it out like a bank robbery crew, right? Guy would cut, another guy would pop the bricks, the guy would have the van waiting, shuttle all the surfboards into the back of the van or whatever they were stealing and boom, on to the next. And when they caught them on video, they're like, holy shit, these guys... Like they're pros and they were hitting every place like that for tens of thousands of dollars. But because it was in the guise of civil unrest, no one ever got in trouble for it. But these wow. guys weren't there for protest, man. They were, they were pros, like legit pros. Well, I mean, uh, you saw the video down on third street promenade when everything erupted. I mean, they were just literally just taking bricks, throwing through and just everything was looted. 
Yeah. You know, I remember making a joke one time because this kid, young kid, was like running down the street and he had five guitars, right? He had (laughs) stolen five electric guitars. And I remember like making the joke and it probably went over like a lead balloon, but I was like, I hope this kid is the next Jimi Hendrix. Because it's like, if you're going to do that, make it worth it. Yeah. You know? Nah, they went straight on eBay, dude. Exactly, right? It just right on Facebook Marketplace. Never, you know, went back to playing uh, Guitar Hero and fake music, right? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this year at Summer Strong, you changed it up a little. Instead of giving a deep, uh, esoteric, you know, thought breaking, groundbreaking, uh, you know, observations and normal Derek Woodski talk, you, you decided to go and put a little practicality and bring back some very uh, excellent, like nutrition uh, supplement recommendations, things that like, uh, you know, are well established and really brought that. Uh, what was the feedback? Did people really enjoy uh, it? I believe so. I think uh, for like initially, it was the most positive feedback I've ever gotten post-speech. So in terms of like within the realm of summer strong, it's the most uh, interaction I got after a presentation where people were like, well, what about this? Or how could I do that? Or what do you think of this? Or have you ever experienced that? So that was interesting. And, and probably because it was a relatable subject in that regard. Whereas if I'm talking about goal setting after the fact, people maybe aren't so keen to ask you questions uh, because it, it's such a heady conversation that it's hard to sometimes uh, articulate what it is about goal setting that you want to ask a question about. Cause it can be weird for some people where is if you're talking about, you know, integrating a micronutrient that we saw to be supportive of muscle gain, pretty much anybody can be like, well, how do I do that tomorrow? Right? So when I look at it from that perspective, it was a lot more fulfilling uh, because I feel like retrospectively, I was able to actually provide a service, not just provide, uh, you know, used time. Um, So that part of it was interesting. The thing that was kind of curious about it though were two questions I got afterwards from two different people but it was the same concept why didn't I speak about CBD I thought that was very interesting because that would be a question that would have never come up five years ago so you know why didn't you speak about CBDs in regards to nootropic human performance oh Uh, man I like I would not I don't know. I, I wouldn't put CBD. I mean, I know Kyle Turley would uh, definitely, you know, venomously disagree with me, but I, I like, I, uh, I like this. I'm probably gonna get myself in trouble on this. Um, I think, uh, the CBD thing, I think the jury's still out on that. I mean, I think there's some really interesting yeah. stuff, but all the research, especially when I looked at it with, uh, when Kyle sent me all this stuff, all the, the, the greatest effect of CBD was when it was with THC. So like the yes. CBD effect was, you know, was good. And, you know, they, you know, saw like there was a bunch of different stuff, but it was like tenfold when you start doing it with THC. And that to me makes a little more sense in the grand scheme of things. Well, and so it made me start thinking, I'm like, okay, so I know that there can be euphoria in some strains. There can be uh, focus in some strains with THC-based uh, consumption or in the CBDs that come with it. And I, and I know there's some 
you know, stuff that shows, you know, anti-inflammatory and, you know, and you can go down that road and for the most part, it has to be smoked and now it can be consumed, but blah, blah, blah. So when I think about like sports supplementation, I'm always thinking, okay, in the simplistic form, I would, and this is again, probably get smoked for this by saying it, but from a peer performance-based understanding, it almost seems like there's more of a correlation to psilocybin microdosing from a consumable standpoint than even CBD in terms of human performance. And so like- Whoa, 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 that, whoa, whoa, whoa. So microdosing psilocybin for human performance, are you talking about physical or like a mental? So like more from a, uh, well, potentially both, but definitely from a nootropic standpoint. So, you know, when you're looking at some of these guys and again, I think it's, it's still one of these, you know, never having been a psilocybin guy. So I I can't speak from it personally, but like the same as THC, it's like you read all the information, you look at all the feedback that people are giving, and then you make the decision And like, so the psilocybin stuff is it's like all the fighters and all the high altitude mountaineers are microdosing psilocybin and Mm. especially high altitude mountaineers. And now there, is it a cultural thing or is it a performance thing? And that's kind of the same argument I have for CBD. Is it, is it a, a social cultural belief that it's effective or is it actually improving human performance? And until, and and this is where I have to draw the line. And even as much as I may disagree with this line at times, until the governing bodies no longer ban or control the consumption of psilocybin, THC, or CBD in in the sporting world, how will we ever really know? We won't. It's it's it's, it's so yeah. That's that's what I was going to get. Like it's it's so anecdotal. Where you know you have a Turley on, and he's you know talking about how it did this. Uh, I took it and I'm like, maybe whatever's wrong with me isn't what's wrong with you. Maybe it unlocks, maybe it's it's very specific, but it's hard to say that like universally everybody has the same effect. Like, um, I can drink a pot of coffee and go to sleep. Um, uh, like, like coffee doesn't really affect me in the same way. Um, but yet I still, you know, like coffee still, I think I just process it way quicker. I know, you know, Luke, for example, would drink a coffee and two days later he's still up. You know, he processed yep. it slowly, but at the end of the day, we know that caffeine is a performance enhancer. I mean, uh, I was laughing when you were talking about uh, uh, caffeine, but um, the age-old aspirin, caffeine, ephedrine. Uh, the FA dose. stack. Yeah, 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 that we used to use. Uh, you know, where, yeah, well, it was, uh, it was aspirin, um, you know, caffeine, the trucker speed. Yeah, it was the, the trucker <laughs> speed and then a no-dose. And like yeah. that, those three was, were, I mean, shit, that was, uh, that was our pre-training Aid in yeah, college. that was Dan Duchesne, right? Wrote about it in his little black book of anabolics. He wrote about the ECA stack for fat loss, right? Yeah. Like that was, well, that was a product for years at yeah. GNC. You could buy a product in a white bottle with red writing that just simply said ECA stack. And you used <laughs> to also be able to buy, um, uh, what is it? Um, oh, uh, the stuff that makes you sleep. Um, then they basically outlawed it. it Melatonin? No. GHB. Yeah, GHB. So they used to sell GHB at health food stores and it was a capful to help you sleep. The problem is if you gave somebody else a capful, they were fucking knocked out and people were getting raped on it. But you would go in and you would see GHB and they were making it and I remember, uh, God, I can't remember. We tried some and it came in a bottle, whatever. You took a capful. 
um, you better not have anywhere to go for seven or eight hours. Cause you like, I, I woke up and was like, what happened? Like it was legitimately, yeah. and people started getting raped and putting in drinks and then they, they banned it. But I mean, that was like the, all the bodybuilders were drinking that stuff left and right because they could get like, uh, you know, the equivalent of six or eight hours of sleep in a three hour time period because you slept yep. so deeply. So hard. Oh dude, GHB is, uh, I mean, that's one of those yeah, things. Where it was I'm like, not uncommon. We... Yeah. For someone to take GHB and, uh, end up with no teeth because when it kicked in, they just fell flat on their face. Yeah. Like oh, there was wow. horrific stories coming out of college. These kids are just like, Jesus, smash my teeth out on the coffee table. That, yeah. cause when it was on, it was on. Yeah. You better make sure you were laying down. I mean, but so yeah. there, I mean, man, that's, uh, so with, uh, with this, I mean, you, you had a bunch of different supplement recommendations and I think the interesting one, I want to jump in oh. where John's talking about Derek, you provided on your website, the opportunity to read through the slides. So oh. those that want to follow right. along with John's about to say, yep. we have ecobolic.com, E-C-O-B-O-L-I-C.com. Yeah, so Derek uh, spoke at SummerStrong a couple of weeks ago and gave a great talk basically going back to kind of his roots a little bit with the Poliquin Institute and discussing um, you know different supplement routines for performance, muscle gain, and whatnot. And uh, it was funny because... It's things that ever, like at least I had always heard, and there were things in there that I had forgotten. I was like, "Oh, I forgot about right. you know phosphor cell or phosphor, what is it? Choline, serine uh, or choline? Yeah, the serine, the the one that you know before sleep, the, the you know to reduce inflammation. So I mean, there was some yep. cool ones that I just hadn't thought of, and I was like, "Ooh, I forgot about that one." Wrote it down, and was like, "I gotta go go mess with that." Well, the one, one we talked about post uh, presentation is good old fashioned creatine monohydrate. That right? is, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and the big thing that people, A, they didn't realize creatine's been around literally forever. Like yeah. it was, a, I can't remember his name. I think it's Michael something. He was a French chemist that basically was able to separate it in the 1800s. Like it has been around forever. But the other thing was, is how creatine monohydrate affects the rate in which a neuron fires through giving it ATP. Yep. And and what they have discovered, you know, in, in bad press, you know, it lasts a lot longer than good press, it seems, because people still don't realize that it is brain protective. It's and, you know, it's total, it totally yeah. is like they're using it for second stage TBI injuries. And to be honest with you, it's like, I forgot about some of that stuff until I was like, okay, what is my, my presentation? There are a number of things. I think are really important. And I'm like, creatine monohydrate's essential. I talk about that. It doesn't get enough actual real conversation. And, uh, and it was when I was going over my speaker's notes from a long time ago that I was like, oh, that's right. There's a host of reasons that a lot of these micronutrients and amino acids are used that are really relevant today that I totally forgot about. Cause you know, a lot of times you only ever speak from it on a on a, a growth perspective like how do i take this and get bigger and better how do i take mm -hmm. this and get stronger and faster and then you realize oh there's a backside to a lot of these things that people should be using just to be healthier and live longer you the, know? the 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 creatine monohydrate and i get at least a question a week uh asking about and it's so funny people are like well do you cycle on and off it and my comment right. is like, it's not a fucking steroid that's like cycling off red and you know like hey i'm doing a cycle of red meat uh, yeah. you know, and then like, Oh, well, you know, what about uh, this? I'm like, I might be one of the longest continuous creatine users on the planet. 1990 was when we, was when Zangus right. gave it to us right. and I've taken, you know, uh, five grams, 
uh, twice a day since then. And uh, like the research is only within the last 10, maybe even five years has come out, like the effects within the brain and the neurological, uh, you know, and the neuroprotectant aspect and the ATP. I mean, I said, geez, yep. years ago, and I've said on this podcast at nauseum that it, every vertebrae on this planet should be taking creatine. And, uh, right. you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a little kid or an adult or whatever. I mean, people are like, oh, supplements for kids. I'm like, I put a little in my kids' stuff all the time. If they're going to put a shake, I always put a little t- teaspoon in there for them. And right. um, it just, it's just smart. And uh, it's just amazing that people are still asking about cycling it and loading it and this. And I'm like, fuck, yep. stop overcomplicating. Just put a little bit in your shake in the morning and take a little bit before night and you'll be fine. Well, and it's not the truth. Like so many people are looking for the, the shortcut, right? Like how, you know, and obviously that's why anabolics and, you know, growth peptides and all these different things that have come into, you know, basically the public reality recently uh, in regards to peptides are so popular because they think that they're going to shorten the process. And <clears throat> To some degree, I guess you could argue that anything that speeds up restoration potentially shortens the process if you train really hard. So you can maybe you can go from doing two sessions a day, you know, instead of one. And over the course of four years, you do twice as much work. So two clones compete. The clone that handles more work does better. Like there's that whole argument to it. But what people don't realize is that it's still extremely short sighted in the fact that you know, they put all this energy into the concept of anabolics or peptides or this or that. And it's like, okay, so you're going to shorten your window and maybe get to like Jacksville super fast, but your personality still dictates that you're going to be gone in two years anyway. Right. And so what I started to realize when I was going through the presentation and how I wanted to present it was that, okay, how do I speak about these things to a, a group of people that are in this for the long haul. Anabolics are not as irrelevant. How do I speak to people that, you know, are gonna be lifting weights 10 years from now? Or people that actually give a shit about this and it's not gonna be like a flash in the pan fitness chick who gets lean for two years and then vanishes. Um, And so that's when I really decided to get away from like the product side of a supplement, sports supplement talk. And that's when I decided to go, okay, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna talk about micronutrients that you could buy from i don't care who you can combine them in products if you want to but like why do you take phosphatidylserine why is tyrosine so important why do animals that i mean dude i i and what's crazy is i have three huge bottles of of a thousand milligram taurine pills that were sitting in my uh in the pantry and like for some reason, I just stopped taking them, and I was like, "Oh, uh, four grams a day." Right. And so now, and I was like, "Oh, let's throw those back in." I got them sitting here, and it, it, yep. like that's what I loved about it. It reminded me so much of like, because I think we are constantly like looking like, "What's the next big thing?" or "What's this?" And you forget that like, like yep. you said, there's this whole micronutrient. And then the other thing, and I always bring this up, um, Dr. Tom Inkledon made this uh, statement to me years ago. He said that. If we were to go back in time 100 years, the level of nutrient density and the, the amount of micronutrients in food was like 10 to 20 fold. He goes, right. off of the same eating and the same workouts, you would be dramatically in better shape, healthier, and more jacked. He goes, the problem that we're running into is that the food is so depleted of nutrients 
that like that, uh, you know, 10 ounces of steak a hundred years ago was dramatically different than this 10 ounces and these vegetables and this. So now what we're having to do is go back and almost backfill for our basically shitty, you know, low micronutrient, you know, based food. Yeah. Dense foods. And it's just, um, it's just not the case. And he's like, you know, the amount of food allergies that people are developing, uh, to these foods like didn't exist a hundred years ago. Like the fact that, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, we have people today that, you know, like for me example, um, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, gluten and bread and these, I mean, he's like, dude, like n- nobody had these issues. Like these weren't right. like, you know, everybody drank milk, everybody had eggs, everybody ate this stuff. Yep. And he, and he, he really goes back. He goes like, it was a change in the gut biome and you know, all these other ex- extraneous factors. But I mean, just being able to go back and say, Hey, we know that the food's not as nutrient dense. So these are where, why these supplements become so important is really yep. like, like that was the strength of that whole deal. No. And I agree a hundred percent with that. And it's like, you know, as someone that was a college athlete, I can remember uh, you know, living on hot dogs and garbage, right? Like there was periods where the food was, it was terrible because I either had no money or, you know, you, I was a lazy, lazy kid that, uh, wasn't living at home where my mom was a fantastic cook. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, geez, what do I make? Well, I guess I'm going to just cut up some cheap burger and like have patties for the seventh time this week, you know? And so when you're talking to a, a group of up and coming athletes, and I don't care if they're tested athletes or not, the, the fundamentals are the same. If, if you want to be Mr. Olympia and, and your goal is to do everything that you can in that moment to be as big and as strong as possible, you have to understand that there's still going to be giant gaps that you can't control. You know, if the soil that, you know, your potatoes are growing in has changed so dramatically that they're now not as nutrient dense it doesn't matter what you're doing. You have to fill, as you say, fill those gaps in. And, and I gave examples like, you know, like f- full admittance. I don't just use Thorn, right? Even though I was able to work with Thorn to get people a good discount on them. And I think they're, you know, they're a cut above the vast majority of supplement companies out there. I still use a variety of different supplements for different reasons. Like I know I like to take a lot of uh, carnitine. The only way I can afford to take the amounts of carnitine that I think are effective is I have to use now nutrition and they have a sport liquid form because it is three grams per tablespoon or yeah, a teaspoon. I can't remember. It's 15 milliliters, whatever that is tablespoon, I think. And uh, you know, so I have to use theirs because I can't afford to go through a bottle of a higher end carnitine, even though I know the purity levels probably Uh, a 99.98 instead of a 97.5. So you have to figure out like, you know, and if I could tell people, it's like, you have to supplement if you know you have gaps. And a friend of mine, Dr. Fanula McHale from Ireland once said to me, she goes, "The, the best part about testing your body for deficiency is so that you don't take a bunch of everything. You take a whole lot of a few things. And that's what they realized is if you can figure out what you need, sometimes you like, if I'm a poor methylator of B vitamins, like my genetic testing finally came back and shown that I knew I was because my urine smells like asparagus when I eat it. So I know that I don't methylate B12 and particular and very well. And, and I'm always right. low so, in B vitamins. Oh, and so, and I had a, a couple things would show up in blood work. I had chronically elevated RBC, mm-hmm. um, 
which is a sign that you don't methylate B12 very, very well. Another sign is from the, from birth, I was a kid that got canker sores, the little, uh, irritations in the mouth, not the herpes, but the other one. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the the herpes came way later. Do you remember remember that story (laughs) that you told me about the second time you got herpes? Yeah. 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 Keep going, Derek. (laughs) And so, you know, so I had all these red flags, but I had no reason why, right? Or the fact that you would look at some of my blood work and other markers were off. So like, I realized that I have to invest in an expensive B vitamin typically to offset that because they're typically like a, a higher grade methylated B vitamin. As soon as I start taking it, Canker's gone, RBC stabilizes, energy goes up, blah, blah, blah. So I understand that, you know, people can't just, you know, shotgun it and spend millions of dollars on supplements. But I will tell people, figure out what you need the most or what you think you need um, and and supplement those just a touch higher than everything else. You know, like I'm not using everything that I put in my presentation. I don't think any human possibly could but I gave you a ton of information so you can go through and start to pull things at different times that you might need. Like if you're going into a max effort cycle of training, that's going to be four to six weeks long dollars to donuts. You're going to have to upregulate the nootropics related to dopamine, uh, uh, dopamine production, because you're going to be depleting that, that aspect of your mental reserve you know, for a lack of a better word. And you can't replace all of that through, you know, taking an ounce of CBD oil and sleeping. It, it, it doesn't work that way. CBD doesn't convert to, you know, phosphatidylcholine. Like as much as yeah. I wish it did, it doesn't. I, you know, I, I can't smoke glutamine into my body. I'm going to have to actually go and get that product. You know? And, and you know, and glutamine's another one where, uh, you know, like if you, so they pretty much came out with a bunch of studies that uh, glutamine was shit for muscle building, that it had no effect right. on muscle. And the uh, thing that I laughed that. about was <laughs> nobody, <laughs> we never took glutamine for muscle. <laughs> like, like, no. like, like that's the hilarious part. So glutamine gets as bad rap because it, oh, it, uh, it, you know, it's shitty. It doesn't have any effect on building muscle. And I'm like, glutamine had a whole bunch of other things that were benefit while you take a scoop of creatine, a scoop of glutamine. And yep. there were other effects for glutamine. So it's funny that like all of a sudden one thing gets being, oh, like that doesn't matter. And all of a sudden people are like sway away from it. And you're like, but that's not what glutamine did. So no, and being one of the most abundant amino acids in the body, the one thing that people forget about glutamine, especially in its ability to heal the lining of the stomach, the other yeah. thing that glutamine does, and it was, it was either a Dr. Serrano article from, I swear to God, 20 years ago, or somebody like that. They were talking about glutamine consumption. And then I'm having to dig in the, the old file folder here, because I haven't thought about this in about 20 years. There was a study that was done with glutamine and it was used in burn wards to increase the rate in which skin tissue regenerated in burn pit and burn patients. And so what they discovered with glutamine is if you could increase glutamine, either maybe intravenously in those studies at a, uh, or a oral solution, I can't remember, but their skin grew back faster. So even if you're not going to look at muscle growth or, or regeneration, well, let's have a, at least a collagen conversation, yeah. right? Like what about the stuff that holds everything together? What about the rate in which tissue restores? And, 
and there was so much that, that doesn't get talked about. Like everybody wants to talk about performance enhancement, but you know, no one wants to talk about the fact that if you take hydroxyproline and vitamin C and glycine, wound healing and collagen formation increases so quickly that all of a sudden you could have an argument that connective tissue recovery between bouts of or exposures to high stress is going to increase. And so it's like, well, yeah, it's not flashy. And, and God knows you're not going to feel it working, but you make your whole, and this is where it becomes such a problem. You make your whole career playing football and you're one of the guys that never had an ACL, never had a tendon ligament issue, but you were one of the guys like yourself say, instead of creatine had been adamant about taking the collagen formulating amino acids every single day. It's like, well, were you lucky or were you just bulletproofed a bit man i, I wish i had known about glutamine for uh for you know connective tissues i mean you know we have yep. uh, i don't know if you know derek and i are uh, uh brothers for both having ruptured patellar tendons um uh, you know yeah the, the, you can see uh, acl we're like we're tendon. like the two gi joe twins that had scars <laughs> on opposite faces His do was, you remember that guy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so he you're, you're the right side i was the left uh, yeah. But like, you know, that would have been a nice piece of been like, hey, make sure you yeah. increase some glutamine because that will increase healing. Um, but I'll tell you, I was, I didn't get real jiggy until uh, the supplementation stuff until, geez, uh, it had to be 01 um, when all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, I was I, late. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, like, it's funny because when uh, we do, we've talked about this on the podcast numerous times, that the way that we got our supplement recommendation were like the bro recommendations. Hey, bro, what are you yep. taking? I'm taking this. Yep. And then we would take it and like, you know, hey, if I'm not low in copper and this dude's low in copper, he's going to be feeling great and I'm going to be feeling like nothing. Um, so it wasn't until I started getting my blood work done and more importantly, getting the, the micronutrient testing done and then sitting with a doctor who understood like a Serrano or Tom Inkladon and being like, hey, okay, yep. this is what I'm seeing. These are the different pathways. These are the supplements we use to, to manipulate this stuff. And, yep. um, you know, uh, like that to me, and I think you brought up a great question. One of my things that I never said is, hey, uh, I had this tendon issue. I've, I've torn an ACL. You know, is there anything that I can take that's going to, you know, increase connective tissues? I mean, the we, we were buying the gelatin packs, you know, right. at the supermarket right. and then mixing those up. And I was drinking those twice a day because I yep. want to say uh, it was either a Morrow or Charlie Francis deal. I think it was a Morrow said, hey, go to the store, buy just the, the gelatin, Jello. Uh, uh, yep. the Jello, and just mix up like the Jello and drink that twice a day in a shake. And he's yeah. like, that increases connective tissues. And then, you know, that was one that was pretty low-hanging fruit. It was low-hanging fruit. You know, you're consuming pig hooves, for lack of a better description. And that's what it's predominantly made out of. But the body has a funny way of taking what it needs from those things. It's, it's the same reason why even some of the top supplement companies in the medical field are still putting bovine adrenal cortex in adrenal supplements. Like to me, it doesn't make sense. It seems archaic, but they're still doing it for a reason. And these aren't like, this isn't bro science. No one's going to GNC to buy, you know, adrenal bovine, right? This is like the medical grade high-end supplements. So there, there's a correlation to how some of that stuff works. And and I, and I was about the same time. I, I went and met Paula Quinn as an athlete, no two with Judd. And that's probably when I really kind of realized there was more to supplements than a protein shake, you know? Sure. Um, so it was about that same time, but it wasn't until I couldn't heal the hole in my leg. Uh, and that would have been uh, 15 that I really went down a rabbit hole where I, 
I learned everything I could possibly understand about how to change collagen matrix formulation. And so that's something I've, I never talked about with Poliquin. It was well beyond the Poliquin days. I never talked about it on my podcasts. Um, I didn't even talk it, about it at, at SummerStrong because I could have given a presentation just on collagen formation supplementation and how I started to formulate concepts uh, going back to like Linus Pauling studies on how to heal uh, holes in arteries in cardiovascular disease patients. And I took that information and I started to take it and work with it to heal this non-healing wound in my leg. And in my initial uh, attempt at doing that, I wasn't even consuming the amino acid matrix that I was using as I was taking Manuka honey, which is an antimicrobial honey, mixing it in a paste with uh, glycine hydroxyproline and literally putting that paste inside the hole in my leg. Mm. And so that was my first attempt at trying to heal this non-healing wound and it worked pretty good. Um, you could start to see uh, the development of new tissue along the, the wound edge. And then that took me down this deeper rabbit hole where I started to look at, okay, so it's not just enough to take the amino acids, but it's, you have to take the amino acids and presence of azorbic acid and, and all these other variables got involved because they all work synergistically to actually formulate collagen. And if one of those things is missing, then what happens is you have an abundance of certain amino acids, but you're not getting the same rate of upregulation if your diet is inadequate. And when I started to go down that road and realized that if I took this combination of certain amino acids in a certain environment, I started to see a dramatic change in how the, the wound was starting to close and heal. And for people that don't realize this, I was like full on Denver hospital, uh, hyperbaric chamber patient with the cancer patients for like a month every day for like three hours in this hyperbaric chamber. Cause they, they, they legitimately thought they might have to amputate the back half of my leg. And so I was, was this because of MRSA? Well, I mean, was this, uh, uh, you know what it was, dude, it was when, when I re ruptured the Achilles tendon. So I had an Achilles tendon rupture in four weeks, uh, about three and a half weeks to my surgery. Uh, I was in a freak accident that should have never happened and it re-ruptured a healing Achilles surgery. And so everything that went well, the first surgery went wrong the second in terms of bacteria and non-healing. And they went and used midline suture. That was a little bit different. They used a, they used a, a bovine, uh, a pig. So it's like procine or whatever the word is. They used a, a pig graft to, to reconstruct my tendon. And dude, it just became a year of open wound. Like you could, mm. you could every single day for six months, wound treating at home, I actually had to physically look at my Achilles tendon. Like I'd be like, Oh, I'm rubbing my Achilles tendon again. And, and it became so normal that, and what they told me, what was really interesting is they said, if the tendon gets exposed to air, you will absolutely lose it. That's what they told me over and over. And I, I was looking at it. I could see it. I could strum it. And so I, I was like, I'm in deep shit. And so I was doing like trying to find any way possible to heal this open wound. They were getting ready to remove the whole back of my leg. And what that would have meant is they would have removed the fucking Achilles tendon and they completely let the skin close up and heal. Then like a year later, 
they would have taken the holocaust longest out of my big toe and tried to reconstruct the tendon out of it that's what they do in that situation i would have been straight fucking fucked right yeah, so no. <laughs> um i so i was like i gotta find a solution and so what's really crazy is kind of right near the end uh of the of the of the hyperbaric wound care treatment the doc who was really a, a good dude he was the head of the center came in he's like yeah he goes you know we're kind of at our wits end you're not making any progress and i'm like well what's the issue i know you've stripped out the midline suture that was a horrific experience you know we've done all this stuff what do we do and he's like well he goes it's it's the inflammation he goes the wound starts to close but the inflammation won't let it shut and we need it to make as weird as it sounds need the tissue to make contact for it to finish and uh i'm like well what do we do and he goes you need a lymph massage therapist to start <laughs> massaging the lymph out of the wound and that's when a, a a light went off in my head so i'm like uh i'm like lymph massage so it's an inflammation issue and it and my whole back of my leg looked like a wax candle it was disgusting and so i went home and I thought about it for an hour and I'm like, oh, I got a solution. I know what I'm going to do. So I get onto this UK website and you know, the topical cream, uh, Tramel for yeah. Arnica inflammation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. outside of the United States, you can buy it in an injectable and it's uh, really common. They used to inject Tramel into my shoulder to reduce inflammation right. from, uh, uh, the torn infraspinatus so that I, I would get that, uh, injected in. It's a great product. So I went on, bought like a couple boxes. It comes in uh, and I'd started to do some research into the peptide world. So I, back then BPC-157 wasn't available, but TB-500 was. And so I got TB-500, I bought the Tramel injectable and this is gonna sound horrific, but every day for two weeks, um, twice a day, I would inject around the wound and inject inside the wound with roughly four milliliters of Tramel mixed with TB500. And at the end of two weeks, the leg was completely uh, palpable again. If you're in the massage world, it was like tissue should feel. And the wound had closed. It, wasn't, it hadn't healed, but it closed. And I remember going in for a hyperbaric and he, and he just looked at it and he was like, well, what changed? And I told him and he's like, oh, and he just kind of sighed, right? Because it was so far outside the scope of practice. Hmm. And he's like, ah, oh, he goes, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't work with that. And he kind of laughs and then he leaves and then he comes back and he just set a piece of paper down and he's like, Hey, just write that down for me. And so I wrote it down what I did. And like he said, he goes, you know, the funny thing about the medical system in America, one of the biggest financial drains on the medical system is non-healing wounds in hospitals because they can tell you how it heals. They can tell you if it's healing, but they can't tell you how long it's going to take or if it'll heal completely. And that was kind of a mind blower for me. And so I healed the hole in my leg with a combination. I think the high dose collagen from formulating aminos I was using was keeping the tendon from dying, right? Well, that open wound should have killed it. And, uh, and I, and then it was the, you know, not medical, obviously, uh, the Tramel and the TB 500 is what I used to close a year long non healing wound. Wow. It was fucking crazy. Man. And I had stem cells in there too. I even had wow. stem cells up at the Stedman clinic. Didn't I, do it. 
I wish uh, they had, um, when I ruptured my patellar tendon, probably same that they had the BPC-157. Oh, I, I mean, I would have been like, I would have, <laughs> I would have just been like, hey, let me just send everything. And I would have just injected yep. it in. I mean, the, the, the effects of that, I mean, just the, even the oral in terms of like healing the gut lining and that, like, um, yeah, yep. that's. Uh, well, it's like incredible. that should be standard I, practice for like you're coming out of like orthopedic everything. surgery and something like you know just teach somebody give them a little insulin syringe teach them to do a whole bunch of localized uh, rejections around it and just keep pumping yes. that stuff in yeah and Tramel you can drink it right so it's it's really benign and I was going to an IV place after the fact so this is even after the legs fully healed and I would get you know a standard Myers cocktail with increased vitamin C and maybe a glutathione and so I've always, you know, people are like, people are getting like just boners left and right over IVs right now. And it's like the people that knew, they knew about that in the early 2000s. Like none of this is new. It's just now become available. So people that are like, oh, have you heard? And it's like, heard. I'm like, I can't believe it's taken this long for people to realize how beneficial IV vitamins are compared to oral vitamins. It's just, yeah. ex, you know, it's expensive, right? So, but when I would go to my IV doc, uh, I remember going in one day and I'd been smashed from overseas travel. Like my face was swollen. I was beat to shit, probably eating way too much airport food. And so I, I go in to get my IV and I just handed her a bottle to Tramel and she's like, uh, are you sure I can put this in? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it's intramuscular, intravenous or oral. And so she runs the bag and does everything. And then just like a glutathione push, she puts that Tramel through the IV and she's like, do you feel okay? And it took about probably three to five seconds. And I just got a burst of this like floral sense in my mouth, just like the, the way B vitamins will kind of make you taste it. And, it, and that's the thing. Tramel is an, is a non-steroidal anti-inflam made from floral essence and it literally felt like i was breathing in a flower vase it was bizarre um but man talk about systemic anti-inflammatory like there's so much that we just don't yeah. do no i i uh when i got sick with that cedar fever which is funny because oh. uh that's actually the sickest i've ever been i hope to god it was covid I got tested for right. COVID. I just kept getting testing, hoping. I hope to God this is COVID because I'll tell people it's not. Uh, it you know it's fucking legit. And it was actually that cedar fever when I cut down sixty cedar trees. I remember uh, you telling oh, me that, dude. It fucking got me. And uh, I went to go get uh, Parsley set me up, and I went to go get an IV, and they hit me with uh, was it NAC? Um, yeah, and acetylcysteine. Yeah, yeah. They hit me with like, uh, and they were like, "This might make you feel sick," and I'm like, "I don't get sick, dude." Yep. And they hit me with that, and it was like just this basically anything they could dump in that bag. And I, I yep. think it helped a little bit, but man, that cedar fever fucking, I think I was, t yeah, I mean, I've never been that sick. I just like, I remember I was, I, I was laying in bed thinking, like, fuck, like if I die in the middle of the night, like what's going to happen? <laughs> like, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, it was like, that sick. <laughs> it was like a, like a, a doors you know, best of the doors, this is the end, is playing on loop somewhere <laughs> yeah. in your world. Right? Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I don't think I've ever been that sick. And uh, I just remember uh -oh. thinking, like, God, I hope this is COVID. So at least I can get right. on here and tell people, being like, hey, man, like, uh, say what you want. That COVID fucking made me sick. Uh, but I'll tell you this. After having cedar, cedar fever, I can't even imagine. Like, like that was right. awful. Well, it, it's funny. Like, and you know, obviously like Megan got vaccinated for her work that she does and she got so like, 
this is no bullshit because full disclosure, I'm vaccinated too. So I'm not saying this is a, to discourage people or be that guy. Right. But Megan got so fucking sick from that vaccine. I can't, I can't describe it. She had 104 fever for three days or two and a half days. So it's like she had COVID. She had a cough. She had chest tension. Like, she got smashed. She was she was in the morning after her second uh, vaccine which one, shot. Which one did Pfizer. she get? The J and J or with Pfizer? She was Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer. Yeah. Um, so she was like delirious. So I was scared shitless about the vaccine. I'm not even going to lie because, a, I'm my own worst enemy with stuff like that. And, but I'm like, okay. So my my dad, you know, all that stuff back home. I'm like, if something happens to my old man. I could never forgive myself to say that the reason I couldn't get across the border to Canada with the ridiculous draconian rules is because I didn't have a vaccine, right? Like I just, for me, that was my, the reason why I got vaccinated. No bigger agenda. It was very simple. And so I was dreading, 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 dude, like my shoulder didn't even get sore. So it was weird to see such crazy different reactions to the vaccine even. And, you know, it was funny, like, so I, I, I'm a, a religious blood donor because I'm B positive, which is a really small percentage of people that are B positive blood. Um, and so, you know, for years I've donated blood every, every, uh, whatever it is, three months, like to the day I donate. And so I've always done that. Uh, and they, and I don't know if people realize this, they started testing for antibodies for COVID for free in your blood because they're looking for plasma donors about a year ago. And man, I just can't, no matter if I got sick, I thought I had COVID, blah, 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 just always negative. My antibodies were always negative. And I had told myself, if it ever comes back and I, I'm positive for the antibodies, I'm gonna forgo the vaccine. And I still, and I, I, I'm not a doctor, don't get me wrong. So I, I could be a total dickhead with the statement, but my belief has always been if you're, you know, antibody positive, you should probably hold off on getting the old vaccine until we know what's going on. Right. Like whatever that is. So, but it just kept coming back negative. Like I, I was, you know, praying for positives the same way and, and nothing like same, same thing. I've, I've I've gone twice uh, to get the, uh, the antibody three times on the antibodies and it's always negative. And I got like, like we did the swab. I did this. I mean, we like, I'm like, shit, like, uh, uh, I don't know if it's that easy to get. I mean, maybe some people it is, but I'm like, uh, like, I don't know. Maybe I wash my hands too many times. Well, and and, uh, you know, go down the whole tunnel of genetic components to this whole thing. I don't know. I, you know, I think for as divided as people are emotionally on the topic, I think down the road, we will see that, okay, there is some science to this. Like, you know, I, I think I made the comment a year ago when I was on that, you know, and I, I hate to say I told you so. We said that it was more than likely created. You know, we were talking yeah. about that shit a year ago. Well, and pe- it was the I mean, protein barb. It, it, it was the protein barb. Right. So, so it, it, everything else looked like naturally occurring, other than the protein barb that they that they did in the lab to make it studied, it's like studyable, yep. and that's non naturally occurring. And that guy who was that uh, like immunologist came out. And his yeah. email to Fauci is like, hey, uh, that barb doesn't exist in nature. Like this looks like, you know, and he was going through like 99.9% of this looks like, uh, you know, naturally occurring, but this 1% makes it not. 
and wow. uh, and then all of a sudden, gain of function, right? Yeah, and and then all of a sudden he comes out and is like, oh, this isn't, and so he basically had to just delete all of his social media and is basically now in hiding because they have his recorded being like, hey, this is it, and then him saying the exact opposite to the public. So I mean, like, like, like in this, I mean. Like that FOIA request, man, like, I mean, to, to go through, the, the one that just trips me out is for him to be like. Do we know who asked for it? Like the uh, Freedom of Information to read all these? Oh, I, I don't know, but I'm amazed they gave it to him. I mean, we tried to do a Freedom of Information Act on our, <laughs> uh, on, on our contracting for the National Guard, and they fucking basically told me to go fuck off. So it's right. pretty, pretty interesting that they released it, which makes you think somebody wanted that information to get out. But the fact that in there, Fauci says, and all of the emails hydroxychloroquine helps and can prevent this and they shit on that and I'm wondering how many people died unnecessarily because they didn't want to support you know Trump's uh, you know idea that this is going to work and so like that's right. where that's where I get real twisted on this shit where I'm like okay so you're telling me tax paying Americans who are guaranteed the life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and all this were purposely misled because of your fucking political agenda yeah, because your emotional knee-jerk reaction to what you think is best for your bottom line, and you know, so it's like, like uh, what, uh, like, oh, okay, so if if that's the case, isn't that some form of fucking treason? That like uh, me, be. me as a tax-paying American, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all this good stuff. You're purposely keeping information that might have kept Americans alive, and nobody is talking about that. Nobody's talking about it, and it it takes a guy like. Uh, like that doctor out in California, who I think might be based in Austin now. I can't remember, Clark, I think his name is, it's, I'm drawing a blank, but he's a TBI specialist. And and he concluded it very cleanly. He said, okay, even if hydroxychloroquine was not what was actually uh, kicking COVID's ass, what he drew the conclusion, he says, is hydroxychloroquine is an ionophor, which is a shuttling component for zinc, and zinc, for sure, we know, disrupted the coronavirus's existence. Sure. He said, so if someone had a good zinc status and was taking hydroxychloroquine or taking the hydroxy with the zinc, absolutely, it was getting into the cell and disrupting the ability for the cell to exist in the body, the same way that curcumin or turmeric does. And it's like they discovered that treating TBIs by coincidence. So it's like, why couldn't you even just backtrack as a government and be like, okay, so here's the deal with hydroxychloroquine. It itself may not be that effective, but if you take it with zinc, wow. Like how hard is it to have that simple conversation? But I mean, like, and, and fuck, I, I hate the conspiracy. Like, I, like I, I, think, know. I think we always enjoy like, oh, you know, like chewing and like joking about the conspiracy stuff. But at the end of the day, you're like, I don't know if there's a conspiracy on this one. Like the information that potentially could have saved lives was mis yeah. that was misrepresented, withheld, and actually fucking spun in a negative manner that could have helped save the lives of Americans. And the problem yeah. is, is and then you get Biden. I just saw in the press conference, hey, like, is uh, Dr. Fauci uh, going to be uh, you know reprimanded? Is he going to be fired? And uh, the you know the White House uh, press secretary was like, we have. We think he's doing a wonderful job. We don't, you know, like what emails, uh, you know, where there's no way we fire him. I'm like, so wait a minute. So that guy spins something. I mean, you saw Rand Paul get up there and fucking torch that dude. Hammers and, him and, every uh, time. Like nothing ever comes to light. And I think it's because 
the mainstream media just fucking buries it. And it's like yeah. it and, and if it's not president, some I'm like I'm like at, at what point, like I don't give a shit what side of the aisle you sit on this. As yeah. Americans, in this situation, we should be provided with the best information that allows for the greatest outcome. And anything fucking less is uh, is fucking bullshit. And you shouldn't hold the power yeah. uh, in this country where you can effectively make that uh, you know that distinction and that pivot and, and make that happen. I agree a hundred percent. It's uh, again, if it wasn't malicious on the front side, it sure seems like there was some people that realized the quickest way to fill a bank with money is to monopolize the fear and negativity of a bad situation. And I think that's where we're at again. There's people that love to prosper off of other people's fear. And it's, uh, it's chronic right now. It's chronic. Well, I mean, every dystopian movie, you know, from, uh, you know, V for Vendetta and every one of these, I mean, like, like, uh, uh, you know, escape from LA escape from New York. I mean, it, it all like fits within this. And it's, uh, you know, and, and people look at it and be like, oh, it's, I'm like, dude, like, believe me, man, people have done uh, terrible things to people in the name of ideology and, you know, the greater good in this. And like the fact that, uh, you know, there was this, you know, whether the political masters or the people that we somehow fucking elect to lead us view that like, hey, we have to get rid of this individual. And so anything that he globs onto or any information he puts out or what is instantly fucking tinted as evil and bad. I mean, the fact like, so what you're saying is that all that information, everything, everything that Trump put out because, you know, was bullshit. I'm like, come on. Like, give me a break. uh, I saw like, I saw a far side ish like meme and it's a, a father opening the door to his kid's bedroom and it's like, Hey, Junior, make sure to keep that new president accountable. And then it shows the kid sitting in front of a blank computer screen. And all it says is orange man gone. Right. And you just realize it has nothing about accountability. It just it was a bunch of people that could identify or tribalize themselves on a concept. And once it's gone, they don't care about they never cared about politics. They cared about the idea of being virtuous in the greater good of their social warriorism and it's like well if you're not going to keep the fight up to keep the new guy accountable just like he kept the old guy accountable he gets a pass on fucking everything what was Uh, the point of it all dude uh like they were running all the pictures of like you know trump's keeping kids in cages and nobody talks about the fact that obama built those cages and or the fact that uh, the that biden still has the cages like, like, where's the fucking outrage? Where's AOC going down there talking about this deal? I mean, now that it's Biden's fucking deal, but he, he didn't shut any of that shit down. He sent in Camille Harris, who is by far uh, the worst fucking person on the planet. And I know this because we're from California. I mean, nobody talks yeah. about how she, you know, how she got her job by blowing Willie Brown. And that came out exactly. in his divorce proceedings. Uh, yeah. and, I mean, great cookies. She though. Monica yeah. lewinsky yeah, she's yeah. Monica yeah, Lewinsky. Yeah, she, like, and, and yet yeah, uh, nobody talks about that. And uh, you know, she's no. down there basically telling him, "Don't show up, don't come." Here's a cookie with my likeness on. Get the fuck out of here, uh, <laughs> right? Like, like it's the, gross. the the media actually lambasted and fucking eviscerated Trump. And you know what? Like, they should. They there should be a watchdog. I mean, that should be all it has the president's to be a watchdog. men. I agree. Uh, that's Woodward and Bernstein. You know, you have to fucking have 
the uh, the media as um, you know the third you know or you know another member of of the government to keep people honest. But the problem is that isn't the case. You get fucking Biden. I mean, dude, did you hear his weird thing about uh, talking about you know oh you look so good with the ponytail like saying a bunch of awkward. You shit look like you're 19. His yeah. exact like standing on stage looking at an adolescent going oh you look so old with your pigtails or ponytails. I like how you cross your legs. You look like you're 19. 19. At that point. One of the Secret Service should have been like, oh, we got to get this fucking sack of shit off the stage ASAP no, because should have the been rest like, of the world is about to like line up the guns. And, and then what's crazy is that piece uh, only came out in like clips. The media didn't cover it. No. Like, no. so then they, they just fucking bury this fucking shit. And I'm like, come on. Like, uh, like here's the deal, man. Like, I don't care what side of the, that you sit on, but it has to be fair. If you're gonna fucking yeah. lambaste this dude on every side, then you get this dude on the um, that gets a pass. That's fucking bullshit. You know, bullshit. Like, just keep it, keep it honest, keep it fair. If if it's gonna continue to be shitty, then just point out the shit, right? Like, uh, Kimmel, Kimmel referred to Florida as America's North Korea on live TV. What the, what does that even mean? Like, that's disgusting, you know? But the people here refer to Bishop as Little Texas because it's a ranching, fairly conservative area of California. Like, yeah, what but, does that mean? Yeah, but you know? uh, one, they got that dope beef jerky place that we used to always stop at. And by far, they- Still they there, went, man. Mahogany Meats, yeah, I think. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, dude, we used to swing by there. That was our, like, our first, our yeah. stop. This is right on the, or probably it's in the middle of town now. It was on the outskirts. But like we yeah. always go down to Bishop on our way up. That's where we bought all of our groceries because it wasn't all fucked up like when you get to Mammoth. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Man, that's just, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the arrogance. Everybody always looking down there, looking down the nose and the fact that like yeah. it was always the ski instructors and the people that worked in Mammoth are the ones that lived in Bishop. Yes. And still, unfortunately, has become that way, right? Yeah. Priced out. Yeah, priced out. Yeah. What else we got, Mr. McQuilkin? Final piece. Derek, you've started a new Instagram page, same name yep. as your website, Ecobolic, and you highlight yep. some aspects. We have warrior, traveler, and Healer. I'm missing one. Healer. Can you yep. go into the, the ethos of that and what you're aiming to yeah. accomplish? So oddly enough, you know, I started that like back in 2017, but I was traveling so much, I, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. So I kind of put it on ice. And it came to me and what the idea was when I first thought of it was outside of the name being kind of catchy, you know, uh, I was like, you know, the one thing that I felt that was missing now that I was kind of away from sports professionally, collegiately, and the way that I saw social media going was there was like such a, like a breakdown in that collective, like camaraderie of like personal growth and, and like a bunch of people all kind of moving in the same direction, regardless of really what it was towards just in betterment, like an, a frenzied, a frenzied desire to like, just get good at something or to be a part of something that was holistically and full heartedly trying to be great. Um, and so I thought about what that meant to me and I, you know, and like everyone will see it and they'll probably like, ah, oh, is that like ecology or is that like a, you know, uh, uh, global warming thing. It's like, well, no, it's like ecology as in, as in the house or the unification of a family of things. And, and the idea that there's like an aggressive, 
or growth from that unification of thought. Um, and so when I sat down and started to like initially break it out, I looked at like the three aspects of what I thought made up the things that I was doing in life. Like the warrior represented like the physical manifestation of using our body in a way in which it was designed, you know, to go out and seek physical struggle in a positive growth mindset, you know, and then the healer comes from the fact that I spent so much time pursuing, you know, soft tissue health. And obviously what we talked about earlier, nutritional health and supplementation and, and, you know, and then you could also kind of throw in spiritual health with that, I guess, too, depending on your belief systems, either, uh, you know, theology based or more cosmic based, depending on what people believe. I, I it's not my place to judge. And, and then when I look at the last aspect is I spent a huge part of my adult life traveling the world. And we've talked about it on the podcast, like being a micro minority and, and having to learn how to adjust and fit in and, and become a part of a culture that I'm the one of 10 million, you know? And so when I look at all those things, it's like, how can I bring this together? And, you know, so like with the programs that are on there that people can get a part of like fat loss and functional hypertrophy, you know, that's just kind of tidbit stuff of different things I've done as a coach. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, if I can't be there to show someone a workout, maybe I can show them workout very examples that we did and they can actually do it and physically like, learn it as it goes. And I can kind of help out from a distance and guide and be like, okay, so this is why we wrote it this way. This is what the methodology was. This is an example. And it's like, yeah, it's 12 weeks, 24 weeks, 36 weeks. It's like, at the end of the day, it's still just an example of another type of training we did, you know, with the supplementation stuff, you know, it was, it was really straightforward. I, you know, I, I reached out to Thorne and Bubs Naturals and, and I'm talking with you can now and just being like, okay, I can at least try to subsidize some of this information. Like, to be honest, a big part of it is like, even the cost of the workouts or people that pay for, you know, buy some supplements from Thorn. Instead of me going, hey, this is a product that I'm selling. It's like, yeah, if you guys subsidize the, the desire to be involved through these other means, it gives me kind of like the mental freedom to try to develop stuff without being like, okay, how do I develop the perfect workout that I can put a, a, a price amount and it has to result in this exact outcome. Instead, it's like, well, this is what we did and I'm going to incorporate it into a structure so you can practice it and try to learn it. But the subsidy for it is going to be like, ah, if you buy some thorn supplements, eventually I'm going to get a kickback. You know, I, so it's like trying to, whoop, I lost you. You're blacked out. Um, uh, trying to figure some of that stuff out. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, it's like trying to create an avenue for me to interact with people that there's just no way I can actually physically get in contact with and just trying to bring them into the experiences that I've had as a coach. And, see if we can actually get a little bit better in the process and the return of some coffee talks hey uh yep what um you booked it for september what are you doing in september uh, september it should be pretty free uh you want to come to austin and uh come hang yeah, out with to us come. we're gonna yeah, have love our to come to austin 17 18 yeah 17th and 18 we're gonna have our uh, like little block one collective and so we uh yeah we were sitting shooting around be like man it'd be great to get you down here and uh just hang out and have some fun and uh i think it would be Always great to connect. So I didn't know if, if you're around. Come down. Awesome. All right. Well, we will yeah. book it. We'll I'm send a, you the I'll information. Bro, I should probably, uh, I'll drag Megan to that since it'll be her birthday. 
Oh, Ooh, even better. Yeah. Austin's a great yeah. place for it. So I know, uh, yeah, yeah it, it'll be great. Um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So, dude, awesome. Well, well book that one. Three hours flew by. As uh, always. Dude, I, I like every time I talk to Derek, it's like three hours and I feel like we just started talking. I know, right? The only reason that I know it's been three hours is because I have to pee. That is the only thing that is giving uh, me any My sense stomach is growling. Like, I'm hungry. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah I like, could definitely eat as well. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, thank you so much for being one of our most illustrious guests on Power Athlete Radio. And, uh, well, good luck in your move. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck in the yeah, move. Thank you. Um, you know, I believe me, I'm, I'm still got a Zillow set up, so I'm still looking for you just because uh, I love to like get up and look at real estate in strange places. Yeah. So hopefully it's something a dope comes up. beautiful part of the world. Like as much as I wish it could remain as wild as it was 20 years ago, I also wish that more people that are delusional about where they are in life right now, maybe they need to move to Montana. Maybe they need to just get away from all the bullshit, you know? Figure this shit out. Well, cool. Thank yeah. you. Yes, and thank you, Derek, for being the inaugural guest in our brand new studio. Uh, we forgot I to mention. I am so stoked to that be the true. first guest in the studio. Yeah. Like When I found that out, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Well, Ted, text came out. He's like, hey, for the first one in the new place, we got to get somebody big. I'm like, is there anybody bigger than Derek Witzke? And I'm like, not as far as I know. Or the Is this number four? Is this number four? Number four, and we broke our own record for the length of the episode. And uh, not only that, but we also had the, the live talk to me, Johnny, that we did at uh, uh, the Sinesta a couple uh-huh. years ago. Yep. So that was We've hit amazing. some home runs. This is a good yeah. group to be a part of. Well, thank you. I like I being a part it. of the Power Athlete family. Dude, we'd love to have you. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll look forward to see you, block ones that are listening. We'll get to shake yep. hands, fist bump with Derek, and talk about all the supplements you want yeah, in person. With, yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll be in touch with just more information and uh-huh. uh, look forward to seeing you soon, amigo, and uh, be good. Appreciate it Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thank See you. you. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!